Hey, tell me, is it true what I read in Penthouse about you? Is it true that you are the most active Nitro girl of them all? Oh, Leno. Jay Leno in a tough spot. Oh, he moved. The quickness of Leno, believe it or not. Eubanks in. Eubanks is in, the disciple. He's signaling the diamond cutter. He's going to the diamond cutter. Can he do it? Yes, he can. Yes. Put a diamond cutter on Bishop. He put it on Bishop. Leno's going to make a cover. One, two, three. And here, let me save you some time, Eric Bischoff. I'm throwing coffee on myself. As far as I'm concerned, Eric Bischoff, you can take this job and shove it up your you-know-what. Let's talk about something he doesn't know. I was there for you 15 years ago. I opened my arms to you, man. WCW, I need you. Where are you going? Why are you doing this to me? You know, I never ever thought I would ever say these words in my life when it came to you. Orn, I think you're afraid of all this. Rev those big bikes, it is indeed the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. Hello everybody, my name is Rory McNamara. Thank you for joining me today for Volume 3 of our August 1998 shows. As I'm sure you know by now, Volume 1 looked at WWF SummerSlam. Volume 2 looked at ECW Heatwave. But here we are, wrapping things up on Volume 3 to look at WCW Road Wild. I know you're interested and excited. Bob Colling is here. Bob, how are you, sir? I'm doing all right, Rory. But I'm really contemplating why I still do this. <laughs> Two hours time. You might not be alone. But you have Billy Johnson for company as well. Hi, Billy. Hi, Rory. Hello, Bob. Come in, Billy. Did, uh, uh, hello. Hello, Rory. Right. Hello. 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 I'm actually, I'm actually going to leave that one in for all the good listeners because uh, an early screw-up like that probably sums up the pay-per-view we're going to be talking about here. We have Billy Johnson is here, everybody. I was talking, you obviously weren't hearing me. Or... No, we've got you. We've absolutely got you. I think what it is, ladies and gents, he doesn't want to hop into the time machine and talk about Road Wild, but we've got him here, so he has to do it. Damn, this... my diet. 
That might be the most entertaining thing on this podcast. <laughs> Setting the bar high there, Bob. Billy, you are now in the time machine with us. It is now August 1998. You have the news. Let us know what's been happening in the world of world championship wrestling. <laughs> of course. Road Wild goes off the rails. That's right. Road Wild, everybody, took place at the start of August in Sturgis at the rally, the Eric Bischoff jerk-off session. It was an event so bad that when I wrote the headlines for Billy earlier, I intentionally mixed my metaphors by saying that Road Wild went off the rails. It was a terrible pay-per-view, one of the worst I've had the misfortune to watch for this, or indeed for any other project. Headlined, as it was, by Diamond Dallas Page and Jay Leno. Yes, that Jay Leno. Going over Hulk Hogan and Eric Bischoff. There was a lot of other terrible stuff on this show, which I'm afraid we're going to talk to you about very, very shortly. So sit tight. No warrior out. The warrior has joined us after much fanfare and preparation on my part, or not. He made his debut on the 17th of August edition of Nitro, which of course stemmed from Hartford, Connecticut, in which after a very long rambling, but not entirely uninteresting promo, he said that he is here to stay and he is here to launch a revolution. As we did indeed find out the next week, it is going to be called the One Warrior Nation, because NWO, get it? And he has inserted himself into the War Games match. It is also scheduled until somebody comes to their senses that he will be having his long-awaited, it says here, rematch with Hulk Hogan at Halloween Havoc. War Games, War Gaming. Yes, this is about the War Games, which will be returning at Four Brawl pay-per-view next month in which apparently all former world champions are going to enter. And it was going to be won by returning Ric Flair. But due to the onset of Warrior, that one has now completely changed to a, work with me here, a three-on-three-on-three War Games match between teams WCW, NWO Black and White, and the NWO Wolfpack. Team WCW made up of the aforementioned Warrior, Diamond Dallas Page, and Roddy Piper. Team Black and White of Hulk Hogan, Bret Hart, and not Scott Hall, as we'll talk about shortly, but the newly joined Stevie Ray. Yes, that one. And Team Wolfpack is also altered throughout the month. Nash is going to be there. Luger's going to be there. Conan is not going to be there. Some bloke called Sting will be there instead. They explained the rules in one of the editions of Nitro. If you listen to the TV reports, you'll hear them. I'm not about to go through them a second time. <laughs> Scott Hall, legal troubles. I know, a very shocking headline, no? But yes, this is a very disturbing story, it must be said. And I'll report from the Baton Rouge advocate from July the 31st of Abatim. A professional wrestler in Baton Rouge for a performance was arrested on Thursday morning after he allegedly groped a woman outside a hotel, city police said. Uh, Scott Oliver Hall was issued a misdemeanor summons for simple battery and disturbing the peace by public intoxication after the 9.30am incident. And it's uh, pretty grisly stuff, I'm afraid. A 56-year-old woman told police she was waiting for a co-worker in her car outside the Radisson Hotel on Constitution Avenue when she saw Hall standing near her car door. She recognised him and rolled down her window to speak to him. Hall allegedly reached into the car, grabbed her breast and pulled her hand up near his crotch. He was arrested at his hotel room. Hall could not be reached for comment on Thursday, as this was reported. Hall did not miss any dates as a result of the incident, but really this is the last thing he or WCW need. Remember, he was in rehab for most of June, but his problems follow him around wherever he goes. And to come out of impartial mode for a second, he needs to get himself sorted very, very quickly. Put down the pen, Eric. 
Yes, there's a reference to Eric Bischoff making a regular reference on Nitro through August by saying he is the boss, he holds the pen, he holds the power. But due to a very specific segment we'll talk about in a few minutes, his elders and indeed betters have been uh, tapping him on the shoulder saying maybe you're branching outside the PG parameters we have set for you. And that is a reason why he has responded in the way he has by saying that he is the boss. But standards and practices breathing down his neck all the time. If I was him, I would tread a bit carefully. There are people there in higher positions than him. He probably does not want to upset. And the ratings for this month, as I had to drop them in in post-production for the WWF show. The Fed secured a victory on the 3rd of August with a 4.85 to a 4.2. But coming out of the pay-per-view, Nitro actually won. Yeah, that surprised me too. Very narrowly, but it still counts with a 4.65 against a 4.55. An emphatic victory when they brought in Warrior on August the 17th, 4.9 against the 4.16. And another win on the 24th, 5.2 versus 4.68. Let's start Nitro in Denver. A brand new month, but not a brand new concept. Because yes, Gene is talking to DDP. Paige knows that Jay Lerner will be ready on Saturday to get him some of Sleazy E. And Paige himself will sort out Hollywood Scum Hogan. Will you stop calling him that? They will feel the bang. Paige is then easily able to defeat the Barbarian. Larry finally turns up, the brain covered for the first few minutes. He was given a dressing down by Time Warner earlier for supposedly contravening his Texas gag order. Turner sure have forgiven Dusty in the last 10 years, huh? Here's another Bishop late so segment. At least this is for a reason this time. Well, sort of. This is how we sell pay-per-view main events now, folks. Hogan is the special guest because, well, how long have you been here? Hollywood and Bischoff have conquered all. And after the NWO busted Page up a bash at the beach, he hasn't got a chance. As for Leno... Hogan has now stolen his audience. Again, he actually believes this stuff, doesn't he? And he will rub his nose in it on Saturday. Psychosis versus Tokyo Magnum, who emerges to a Disco Inferno intro and Alex Wright's music, lasts for all of a few seconds before Norton powerbombs both guys. Hugh Morris answers his immediate open challenge and also gets wiped out. Hour 2 starts out strong with another Goldberg interview. He keeps it succinct, which I think is wise and confirms he will be in the Battle Royal on Saturday. Wait, the what now? Sting squares up to him, then the Giant goes him into a scrap. He mows through the B players, and then Brett tries to talk to Sting, but to no avail, which could be connected to Luger having been attacked backstage. Sting is seen standing over him, but then he sets off in hot pursuit of... someone. Maybe it's whoever booked Jim Duggan versus Brian Adams. Virgil botches interference twice, both by design and in practice, but Adam still wins with a pile driver. Gene tries to get a word with Sting, but he's not answering the locker room door. Brett is milling around backstage though, and he wants Sting to ignore the rumours and innuendo. <clears throat> he offers to be Sting's partner tonight due to Luger being ruled out, and Sting can trust him. Raven tells us that Sick Boy vs Canyon will not take place. The latter has been swallowed up by the darkness. Raven suggests that the former Mortis might just be on his side for the supposed triangle match in Sturgis. Raven then has a pop at Lodi until Saturn makes the save. The camera then quickly catches the trustworthy Bret Hart exchanging a word with Scott Hall, but the length of Gene's mic cord stops him intervening. Yep, I've been there. 
Malenko is out to gel Jericho, he was the better man last week. The Lionheart of course uses the opportunity to grind his face in the dirt, but now JJ is here to inform him that due to his pattern of behaviour, WCW have the right to appoint a guest referee for the following pay-per-view title match. It will of course be Dino Machino himself. Eddie and Hoovy only get 5 minutes, but they use every last nanosecond of them. Guerrero takes the win with the frog splash. Stevie is apparently the legally recognised TV champion and with his brother's blessing to boot. Nobody believes him, and indeed Charvo has gone through his bag to show he has forgery equipment. This allows Lismark Jr. to win, whatever that match was, by countout. Conan vs Hennig, with Scott Norton but not Rick Rude, is up next. Conan gets kneed in the back by Flash, and I still can't call it the perfect flex. Nash sees off the black and white representatives afterwards. In a rematch from last month, we get Jericho hooking it up with Ray, but non-title this time. After some magnificent action, which you really should try and hunt down, CJ pulls Mark Curtis in front of Ray's Rana attempt. Mysterio is still able to roll up Jericho out of the tamer into a pinning combination, and then Malenko runs in to make the count. Scott is out, and he has an important announcement to make. He does so by tearing off his NWO black and white shirt. He wants to apologise to us all, but especially to Rick, who he calls out now, but he turns out to be Bagwell, doing a poor impression. After a few barks and Scott showing off how good he is at crying on demand, the real Rick emerges and nails his brother with a chair. The next segment doesn't exactly raise the levels of good taste either. After the Nitro girls do their thing, Bischoff sprints down to the ring and gives Kimberly a real tongue lashing. Metaphorically. He even suggests that she is the most active Nitro girl. She slaps him, but the NWO lackeys hold her back. The bigger names then do the same when Paige tries to come to her rescue. Bischoff openly laughs at Sir Galahad, and then the real man Hogan beats up DDP with no recourse or comeback whatsoever. As Tony put it on commentary, if you were offended by this, you should be. Main event time pits Hall and Giant versus Brett, who Buffer initially calls a member of the Red and Black, and Sting, who comes down from the rafters again, but with black and white face paint and his old music. The crowd are curiously quiet for most of this one. Brett and Sting aren't exactly pally during it, as it's made clear when Hart goes to hit him with a baseball bat, but he actually nails Hall instead. Sting is then able to get the pin, but Brett quickly makes off with the belts as the NWO exact revenge. The result is then reversed, and as we close, Goldberg gives the Giant a spear. She looks pretty good for trailer trash, doesn't she? Yeah. Oh, you're I mean, hot! I didn't mean it that way. You're real hot! Just remember, if it wasn't for me, you and that garbage-collecting husband of yours, you'd be schlepping drinks at some topless bar in a town no one has ever heard of if it wasn't for me. You remember that. Wait, it's, well, we don't need to show this. Let, let, uh, we, 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 we don't want to show. Oh my goodness, he's gonna snap. Yeah, he's. Katie barred the door, and they're holding him back. They're just Looks holding him like down. Sir Galahad is about ready to get his ass kicked again. Hey, so, so DDP. I want you to hear every word of this. 
Hey, 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 Jaya, be careful. Looks like his head's gonna pop. Oh, what's the matter, Kimberly? Oh, you know, this is what happens. This is what happens when you're ungrateful. I want you to remember. can't help you. Hell, he can't even help himself. Hey, tell me, is it true what I read in Penthouse about you? Is it true that you are the most active Nitro girl of them all? Come on, you're kind of quiet tonight, Kimberly. What do you got to say for yourself? Oh, Kimberly, I'll come to your rescue. Please. Oh, let me at him, let me at him. Oh, please. You know, if there's one thing that everybody in here knows, especially Hollywood's NWO, Diamond Dallas Page, everybody knows that your old lady is black and white from head to toe, right guys? And you know something, Kimberly? Let me just show you how a real man handles situations. Hold on one minute. Hold this, Bob. Oh, I can't even watch! No. You know something, Kimberly? Why don't you go over there and tell DDP who your daddy is? Right in front of his wife, he's gonna choke slam DDP. Now, what else can they do? I mean, this is. Kimberly, next time you want a real man, watch come to Hollywood's house because, woman, I'm the only real man for you. So next time you really need some loving and you need a real man, come to the house of Hollywood because daddy's got something for you. Watch this. Hey, DDP, looks like you got some egg on your face. <laughs> I'm a funny guy. Nitro girls were dancing in the ring, as we have got so used to seeing over the last few months. You know, after they finished their routine, they were stopped by the NWO and accosted in no uncertain terms by Eric Bischoff and Hulk Hogan in particular. Bischoff with some very choice words for Kimberly Page, saying some very close-to-the-bone things. 
saying she was the most active member of the Nitro Girls, being one of the more printable things, he said. There's a few more I don't really want to repeat. You would have heard them earlier, though. Uh, DDP raced to the ring as the, knight, as the knight in shining armor, but he was quickly cut off by the NWO and very heftily beat, beat down and was humiliated for five minutes as he was healed back and Hogan and Bischoff just abused Kimberly and it got very, very uncomfortable indeed. DDP have got no offense whatsoever. And Bob, I'm going to come to you on this one first. I thought this was actually, for what it was, a very strong segment. It made the NWO look like complete dicks and it built a lot of heat on them. <clears throat> And it made me want to see DDP kick his ass. But that's not the pay-per-view match this was leading to. And secondly, as I intimated a couple of minutes ago, was this stuff a bit too near the knuckle? You know, yeah. As soon as, you know, you were leading up to the question here, that's exactly where I was going to go with this. Um, I can appreciate the attempt here to develop an angle and purpose for fans to be interested in DDP and Hogan. Unfortunately, Leno and Bischoff are involved in it, so it kind of deters from that. But, yeah, no, I mean, watching it, I kind of got a little bit uncomfortable just with, like, the comments of, uh, you know, who, who your real daddy is. You know, the sexual undertones about it was yeah. uh, a little bit much for me. I mean, I don't feel – I feel like WCW doesn't do that uh, all that often. So it just felt out of place uh, compared to what they've done in the past. So, yeah, I, th I think in this regard for the match that we are getting, um, I don't think it really fit the direction that – you know, we were kind of being led down into Road Wild. It kind of surprised me because Eric Bischoff a few months ago famously held that meeting where he said he thought the WWF were going to go out of business in six months because their star was so raunchy that all their advertisers would pull out. Hasn't quite worked like that. And now I get the impression he's of the, if you can't beat them, join them school. But I think he went too far here. What are your thoughts, Billy? Uh, well... Pro wrestling in 1998 is apparently supposed to be quite edgy. Yep, that's true. In this day and age, um, he's probably just, they decided to go right down the wrong path. And uh, yeah, I was sort of like umming and ahhing about what was said and how it was said. And I just thought, okay, you don't normally get that out of WCW. It's not what I want from WCW. And I don't really want to see him going down a path of uh, becoming an attitude light. Really? I think that's it. WCW now, with the ratings war so hot, they've got to try to provide an alternative to what the WWF are providing. If they're just copying them and taking it to even more extremes, I don't think that's going to serve them well in the long run. Didn't serve Eric Bischoff well in the short run. He got a bit of a tongue lashing from, as I said in the news, those who watch over his own shoulder, shall we say. So two things I didn't really like about this. One was bringing Kimberly in at all. I don't think that's an angle we needed to revisit. Just have DDP come in to try to take down the NWO for some other reason, and then he gets beaten down. Here, he's trying to save somebody who is played up on TV as his wife, which, of course, she is in real life, and he isn't able to do so and looks extra weak when he can't save her from some of the verbal abuse she's getting. I don't want to see that tackled in a pro wrestling show or any type of show for any real reason, if I'm honest. And secondly, as much as I didn't like it, it was still effective, as I say, in making the NWO look like some of the biggest arseholes on the planet. But this wasn't building to a Hogan versus DDP match. If it had been a go-home for that and the NWO hold, hold the final upper hand as we go into the big show, then that would make me want to see DDP destroy Hogan the next week, then fine. But it was building to what was already being billed, really, as a comedy celebrity match. 
So even on that score, it felt completely out of place. So they put themselves in hot water here for a reason they didn't really need to do. Of course, you could look at it the other way. They could have filled this 15 minutes with our fourth Eric Bischoff comedy skit. So be thankful for what you get, I guess. But be wary, WCW. The Fed don't always get it right, and they do this stuff week after week. You've thrown this out of nowhere straight into our laps, and you failed miserably. So I believe there is a lesson there to be learned. Speaking of lessons to be learned, this was our third annual visit to Sturgis this month. And Bob is going to take you through the results for the Road Wild pay-per-view. All right. Meng defeated the Barbarian. Public Enemy defeated the Dancing Fools. Saturn defeated Raven and Canyon in a triple threat Ravens rules match. Rey Mysterio Jr. defeated Psychosis to become the number one contender for the WCW Cruiserweight Championship. The self-proclaimed WCW television champion Stevie Ray defeated Chavo Guerrero Jr. Steve McMichael defeated Brian Adams. Juventud Guerrero won the WCW Cruiserweight Championship from Chris Jericho in a match that featured Dean Malenko as the special referee. WCW World Champion Goldberg won the NWO Invitational Battle Royal, last eliminating the Giant. And the main event, Diamond Dallas Page teamed up with Jay Leno to defeat Hollywood Hogan and Eric Bischoff. Oh, just that very phrase says it all, doesn't it? Yeah. Okay then, Billy, don't hold back. Let's have it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, everything uh, was wrong with this pay-per-view. I could use so many different words to describe uh, the way I felt watching it and uh, how I feel about it. I'm just going to be rude instead, and this was just fucking awful. <laughs> this is the place to be as rude as you want. Bob, any dissenting views here? Well, I'll, I'll just say this. I don't know if anybody well, – I'm sure there's a – fellow baseball fans out there. You know, when you go to those games, you get those souvenir cups for about $5. Yes, well, we, have, we have those uh, at soccer games here as well. Okay, perfect. So I filled up two of those throughout this show with um, vodka and Sprite. And I went through two of them before the sixth match of the show. So needless to tell you, that's how I felt about this one. <laughs> uh, we have a consensus here. Surprise, surprise. If Road Wild is Eric Bischoff's idea of a shining new, sleek, black Harley Davidson, 
Road Wild in reality is a 1987 BMX bike which has been gathering dust and rust in the shed. It's covered in mold. <laughs> the chain doesn't go round. The brakes don't work. The handlebars go the wrong way to where you direct them. And worst of all, it's lost all the spoky dokies. This was an atrocious pay-per-view. A contender for the worst I've ever seen in this project, as I said, or any other project I ever have undertaken or ever will hope to undertake. It had one saving grace, which for me was damn near a match of the year contender, and for goodness, thank goodness for that. But otherwise, there were so many things wrong with this horror show, and it is our job, dear listener, to bring them all to you. So, no, you're not turning off, you're staying with us. Okay, well, I did give you the chance, so let's rock. Road Wild 1998, let's play. We are indeed in Sturgis for the third time and for the second annual Road Wild because you never know who is listening. We can't call it Hogwild anymore. Tony is dressed in what his mother probably thinks is biker gear, and he has Tanae and Heenan for company. Gina's on a bike too. It doesn't look remotely uncomfortable. Oh, no, not at all. One thing I will say, the stage set really looks quite impressive. It's just a shame as to who it will be wasted on a bit later. The sun is out as we kick off, and it must be said, the view of the pay-per-view does look nice, but um, <laughs> sadly there are matches to distract us from that unfortunately so we're going to start with our special death match which is between barbarian and meng meng is in with a series of palm thrusts but barbie cuts him off with a nice overhead belly to belly meng backdrops out of a power driver and hits a big one of his own he goes for a diving headbutt and hits the mat though he tries again but barbo cuts him off and there's another big belly to belly meng is unfazed and responds with a huge power slam jimmy hart gets on the apron and the distraction allows barbie to hit back big chops exchange and then some head punches yeah they're not going to work but a shot to the steps will. That's almost psychology. Back in though, Meng locks on the, de locks on the death grip for the quick win. <laughs> Jimmy Hart tries to drag him off, and then Hugh Morris tries his luck. All three join the beatdown, and then Jimmy Hart actually goes off to the top rope. So we're off to a strong start here. He hits a splash on Meng, but that isn't sold for long. No laughing matter by Morris is, but here comes Duggan. Meng doesn't look at all pleased with that intervention, though, and who can blame him? So then, Bob, that was a strong start. Uh, actually, I liked it <laughs> for <laughs> for a five minute for almost a five minute match. For the most part, I, I was digging it. Um, you know, the suplexes by Barbarian uh, were quite shocking, especially the one from the top rope. I was not expecting that uh, at all. And uh, you know, he did. Barbarian did seem a little lost whenever he, you know he had to have control of the match. Like when he dragged Meng to the apron, he was just like, "What the fuck do I do?" And then he just kind of like threw him into the steps or whatever. But uh, for the most part, I mean, I, I, I was enjoying it. I like Meng. So if this kind of leads something for him in the future, I could uh, potentially get behind that. But for a five-minute a five minute match, uh, I've seen a lot worse, as we'll get on to the show here. And, uh, you know, I can always appreciate a, a Hugh Morris moonsault uh, to open up a show. So I, it wasn't the worst thing to, to start the show with, I thought. It probably was the second best match, which is where we are, eh, hey, Billy? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, obviously, you know, this is a competent horse fight. You know, they 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 certainly tried. Uh, Barbarian is uh, he's seen better days, shall we say? He looks a bit out of depth. The crowd really didn't seem to care, but then obviously, you could say, well, because they were outside, the noise was being escaped, so they were didn't really sound like they were making much noise. I can't say I really cared for this match, but I didn't find it as offensive as some of the stuff that happened later on in the show. This is one of the very few times on this show I'm going to say the booking here was fairly smart. 
I mean, opening it up with Barbarian and Meng, who are two former WWF guys in front of a crowd who would be casual fans at best, who may remember these guys from six or seven years ago, probably a wise idea. And having them exchange chops and suplexes for five minutes is indeed fun enough. It was never going to be anything else. Looks like they do have some sort of plans for Meng going forward. So he faces Goldberg the next day. We'll talk about that a bit more later on. So he's going somewhere, I think. Getting to Tongan death grip everybody in sight. But it was what it was. It was completely inoffensive. It was relatively hard hitting. That's what these two guys are really on the roster for. I don't want to see 56-year-old Jimmy Hart going up to the top rope too many more times after this. But uh, I've got to give the old sport some credit there. Yeah, Harmless, inoffensive. That's as good as I can say about this particular match. But it's going to sound like praise to the skies based on what's coming. <laughs> And after an awkward cut, for some reason, we get straight to our next match. Public Enemy versus the Dancing Dodos, as Tony called them this night. Oh, my notes for this are far too long. But anyway, Wright and Rocco start us off. Alex is able to out-wrestle him. Yep, that amazed me too, as we get our first full-arm dragon twist of proceedings today. He hops to the top, then hits a great arm dragon, a nice drop kick, and then here comes Disco. He scores a one-off a flash roll-up. Johnny in, and the crowd like his unreconstructed approach until he gets clothesline down, and then a missile drop kick by Al gets a two. The enemy take over, though, and hit a double flapjack on Disco, but Wright grabs a bin and smashes it over Johnny, which seems to have ice cube holders in it. The ref lets it all go, and then Rocco finds a ladder. He wipes up both heels with that, and Disco and Wright have had it and go to the back. They return with a table when there was already one by the ring, and Disco has the mic. He offers a street fight, but then Rocco runs to the back. A toilet seat and a kitchen sink make their way to the ring, and then the four guys just hit each other with stuff for a while until Al suplexes Rocco onto another bin. Johnny breaks it up, and he holds Wright onto the ringside table, but Disco trips up Rock as the engines start to rev. Wright with the kitchen sink a few times, and there's not enough flow here for the crowd to be interested. They rally, I thank you, with a table chance, and a magnum is in the ring. He just sort of sidles out without doing anything, and I've now already made too many notes for this match. <laughs> Alex with the leg lariat. He about puts Johnny down, and now Magnum actually does something, which is accidentally nailing the Teutonic Wonder. Wright is angry and walks away, leaving Disco to take a teeter-totter ladder spot from, from Rocco, which completely misses. Ugh. Tony on commentary says that this thing's a mess, and never a truer word said in jest than all that. P.E. then take an age to set three tables up outside with a ladder next to it. Rocco then climbs the lighting rig as Grunge carries Disco up to the top table, and then, after an age, there's an elbow drop through all three tables. No pin off that, though, as we need to see Magna make another mistake. He hits Disco while trying to break it up. And as he has seen off, Grunge is then able to cover for the victory. Oh, sloppy, messy, awfully Billy. <laughs> yes, this was very, very sloppy. Uh, I suppose you expect that with the public enemy, really. You know, that's what their brawl matches are like. I've seen them in much better um, brawling matches. I figured back to the ones with the Nasty Boys when they first came into the company. But, you know, Disco and Alex, as entertaining as they are um, as a comedy act, I don't think this setting was right for them at all. It just it just didn't seem like they should have been uh, in a hardcore match or uh, a street fight, as uh, they like to call it. Uh, that lighting rig uh, moonsault spot was... It looked good, but... Um, I'm sure they'll put that on highlight packages for years to come. You know, it's something that happened in this. But, yeah, the finish was just 
just so stupid. It's like, why is Magnum Tokyo coming back and then he was he jumped off the second rope uh, to yep. break up the pinfall and then I don't, I can't really and then um, <coughs> I don't know. Yeah, no, he just, um, no, he just all sort of kind of fell flat. Sorry about that. I've uh, lost my place. <laughs> You're not the only one talking through this, man. Oh, sorry, sorry. It's uh, allegorical in a way. What do we think, Bob? <laughs> I oh, knew that I was in trouble when this match started off as a regular wrestling match with Public Enemy. So the first two to five minutes or so, I was uh, kind of dreading what this could potentially be. But, I mean, once they got kind of into the hardcore stuff, uh, I could kind of maybe survive it a little bit just because of the, the distractions that that brings to the match. I don't know how in the world this went 15 minutes on pay-per-view. The the uh, senton splash there off the fixture was, was pretty cool to see, but kind of insane to do on an undercard match. The second match of the show, uh, nonetheless, too, there. Uh, I didn't really care for it. I feel like Alex Wright is being wasted in these roles. Uh, you know, similar last year when he was involved in the, I believe, I believe there's a cruiserweight division or TV title area. Like that's where he should be utilized. I think he can excel in that. And that kind of division in, instead of teaming up with Disco Inferno against the public enemy. So uh, once they got the hardcore stuff, I was able to just kind of laugh at it and not take it all that seriously. But it was, Kind of uh, not not the best 15 minutes of my life. This just felt so contrived right from the very start where we had the attempts to wrestle each other, which was a bit of a disaster, right down to Rocco then walking off to suddenly magically bring we weapons with him. Alex Wright doing the same to bring a table when it was right there next to the ring, to them suddenly making a hardcore match, to the very, very dodgy-looking weapon shots, which... Looked either too dangerous or too safe, including the teeter-totter, which was nowhere near making contact. Then you've got Magnum Tokyo. It just looked so obvious that he was getting in the ring to intentionally make a mistake. I don't think he actually missed his cue. I think he was planned to get in there, then get back out. But it just looked so was read off a script. And it's as if the only thing they really had planned for this match was the finish. Yet they had another 14 minutes to somehow get through, and they had no idea how to do it. And as impressive as the final spot was, again, I used the phrase twice in my notes, and I'll use it again here, it took an age to set up. I mean, Disco was selling for far too long, allowing himself to be placed on three tables. And with Rocco gingerly climbing the lighting rig, hours and hours and hours it felt like until they got to a safe enough distance to actually, actually execute it. It was the only thing in this match which brought the crowd alive, so I can see why the spot was there because the crowd just did not get this style of wrestling at all, plus the fact they had no idea who these four guys were. But that spot felt egregious, and it was there just for the sake of it. This is a public enemy match. Have somebody try to kill somebody for no real reason. In, as you say, Bob, an undercard match on a pay-per-view, which didn't matter jack anyway. It was unnecessarily dangerous, and in a match which didn't really build to it. This wasn't a, a traditional hardcore match, Public Enemy 1995. They do feel like a bit of a cheap parody these days. Not entirely sure it is their fault, because even though they've been around for two years, I still don't think that WCW really get them, or indeed this style of pro wrestling. Uh, this match is not going to help their cause. And Alex Wright has still got a lot of talent. I think Disco is very good as well. And these two are perversely entertaining on the mic. They have some exchanges with Magnum Tokyo throughout the month, which are very amusing. But they're clearly just being thrown together because there's nothing else really to do with them. 
when I think both of them in the mid-card could be good, solid hands. Maybe even hold the likes of the TV title again. TV title, cruiserweight title. That's their level. They're both good enough to do that. They said they're here for Tony to make cheap gags at, which is a shame. This was just all too long at 15 minutes. It didn't feel any in any way natural or quote-unquote real. And it was dangerous for the sake of it. With, with nobody caring. There was no real payoff. The crowd just weren't bothered until the brief charity woo at the end. Very depressing. And it doesn't get much better. Triangle match now. Raven versus Saturn versus Canyon. Again, I question the wisdom of having this match straight after a hardcore one, but never mind. Raven says this. Canyon, get him. He hands him a chair, but Saturn is all over him right away. Raven punishes him with a hard shot, but then gets back in the ring as the other two exchange blows. He then interbeams and throws them back in. He again just sits down whilst they fight each other again. And I think I've worked out that the crowd, crowd rubbing their engines actually means they're bored. They then look at each other and realize Raven is playing them. And they give him drop kicks and a neat double team belly to back. Neither guy will let the other get the pinfall though. Russian leg sweeps by Canyon, then a huge top rope leg drop by Saturn. And Canyon breaks it up and a bridging pin for two. They fight each other, but Raven hits both with a chair. I don't think it actually touched Saturn, but he sells it anyway. We spill outside and then Canyon dives onto them both over the top rope, but the crowd are filling up their bikes, I think. We brawl in the aisle then up the ramp. Raven suplexes Canyon onto it. Saturn with some hard knees to Raven on the stage area for a count of two. Canyon with a very protected pile driver on Saturn for the same. Kicked to Canyon by Raven and he rolls all the way down the ramp. They scrap and then Saturn cuts him off with a leaping clothesline. Eventually we saunter back to the ring and a T-bone suplex by Saturn gets two on Raven. A three-way sleeper is locked on. I hated that spot in 1994 and I hate it now. Everyone is down until Canyon comes through first. And it's Tower of Doom time. A huge superplex with Saturn taking the worst of it. This time Raven gets to his feet and tries a double even flow. Canyon though holds the ropes then yanks Raven to the floor for a suplex on the outside. Now Canyon climbs the scaffolding. We've already seen that, but he misses a splash to the floor off it as Lodi pulls Raven away. Back in, a Death Valley driver should do it, but again Lodi helps out. Saturn goes after him, but here is Horace with the stop sign. He hits Lodi instead after some powder gets involved, and then Raven too. He takes a German suplex and now another... Excuse me, and now another Death Valley driver, and that is the three. As I say, Bob, that was way too similar to the previous match, right down to another lighting rig spot. Yeah, that's exactly what I have in my notes here. I, I could maybe appreciate this match a little bit more if I were to watch it by itself compared to in order on the pay per view. You see the same triple threat spots that you would in a traditional one, just with hardcore rules in this match. You know, once they got to the floor or up the aisleway there, I kind of was just hoping that the match would come to an end. Uh, it wasn't really holding my interest. I mean, some of the stuff they did to Raven when they teamed up was enjoyable. But for the most part, I was I just I, I was finding myself not caring. And it's weird for me to say that because I like all three guys. I like Saturn, I like Raven, I like Canyon. Uh, I think Canyon especially is pretty underrated. But this wasn't really a, an area for them to succeed, especially, again, considering the match they just had with Public Enemy and the Dancing Idiots or Fools or whatever their name is these days. But, um, yeah, like the crowd didn't really seem all that intrigued by it. And, uh, you know, just it's unfortunate that they weren't given a spot to really showcase their skills. I mean, you probably could have put um, a cool-down match already after the second match and then have this one to sort of break up the card a little bit. Yeah, especially as the crowd didn't really react to the previous match. They weren't going to 
suddenly come alive for a very similar one here. What do we reckon, Billy? Yes. Pretty much what I've got written down here. Yeah, it's uh, another street fight, really, and uh, no one really seemed to care. I suppose, unlike last month's one, it wasn't really overbooked and it didn't have a silly finish. Uh, I, I just hope that this is the end of the Raven Saturn Canyon feud, uh, but I suspect that it won't be. Um, it's just, I have no strong thoughts on this feud or this match, really. It's just, it existed, it happened, and no one seemed to care, and I didn't really care. So, so indeed. Yeah, this match, uh, this match had a story behind it for probably the first real time on this show. But again, two things here. One, you've got a crowd who have not been following the storyline, so you're almost wasting your time. And secondly, as you say, Billy, it's just going on and on with no real resolution. I want to really like the idea of the frock, but I still don't think it's been explained properly. And they've been here for a year now in this in this guise. Again, it's a, a situation where I don't think WCW really get the Raven character. They're trying to make him into David Koresh, but again, without going all in with it. So he's just this bloke who recruits weird people and sits in the corner and tries to play mind games with them to do his bidding. But I don't really know what his bidding is. I don't really know what he wants, A, out of them, or B, from WCW in kayfabe terms. He can handle himself very well. His promo's excellent, of course. We've known that for a good three and a half years now. But he isn't really doing anything with them. And this is a storyline that nobody, even if you've been following it, can really relate to. Because the flock aren't portrayed as a threat, I don't believe. They just come across as weirdos who could beat you up on their best day. And that's certainly not where the NWO black and white were two years ago, let's say that. This match was fine for what it was, but it was just the other match slightly more competently because these three can handle themselves in both a hardcore and slightly more standard environments, which the public enemy can't really do. Some of the spots were pretty decent. They all took a bit of a beating. Well, I don't know whose idea it was to actually do another lighting rig spot 15 minutes after we just seen one. This is the sort of thing you would get on some hardcore indie show where everybody hits each other with a stop sign every single match or everybody dives off the balcony. I mean, even ECW are moving away from giving us that match after match after match. And I hear a WCW giving it twice in a row on a pay-per-view. I just... Is it the agents don't really get this stuff as well? I don't know. It could be. But Raven and Saturn especially are well-versed in this sort of thing. You think one of them would spoken up to say, hey, we don't need to have too many of these particular spots. Can you just, can just come off the top rope and achieve the same result? Yeah, it was held together well as a match, but nobody was really bothered about it again. And that's a bit of a theme throughout the night. There's too much here that people just don't care about. And it's hard to get yourself up for. If there's no real payoff, because as you say, Billy, this storyline is just dragging on and on and on. It looks like we're getting Raven Saturn again at the next pay-per-view, and there is no resolution in sight. What have we got next? Scrolling through my notes. Ah, this could be a bit decent. Psychosis versus Rey Mysterio. Right, no pressure, lads. Tony says this match will be different to the last one. Well, it had better be. They take it to the mat early with Psychosis walking on a side headlock. Nice arm drag takedown, and we are on the canvas once more. Ray flips out as only he can, and he sends Psychosis to the outside. We reset to absolute silence as Psychosis locks on an arm ringer, and Ray turns that into a victory roll somehow. He's amazing. 
Psychosis with a clothesline for a two count. Gordbuster and a double leg hook, also two counts only. Chops in a corner and some hard whips and Ray is down. A big flapjack and P gets in some stomps. Suplex and then Psychosis goes up for the leg drop, but Ray meets him with boots. Psychosis takes all three turnbuckles in the corner, and about that number of people actually do the count along. Ray cartwheels into a Rana after rolling himself through the ropes, and this time the revs might just be a positive reaction from the crowd. Ray with a big crossbody off the top for, off the top rope for two. He goes for another Rana, but this time Psychosis counters with a defensive move, or a powerbomb, if you will. That's also a two count. He gets in the ref's face, and now it's nerf hole time. He hooks Ray's arms and legs and executes a beautiful bridging electric chair. Ray is just about able to get out before the three. Half crab now in the middle of the ring, but Psychosis lets him go. Okay. He opts for a top rope Rana instead, again for a two count. Scoop slam and, Psy- Scoop slam and Psychosis goes up again, but Ray meets him with a drop kick over the ring post and out to the floor. Ray then with lightning speed springboard cannonball over the top rope and with a 180 twist. A big sunset flip scores him a two count. Ray with something akin to a rocker dropper, and then he goes up for a split-legged moonsault. No pin bear. No pin on that one, but a springboard runner which Icosis takes right on his head does get the win, and Ray earns himself a title shot. Billy, this was finally a bit more like it. <laughs> we needed this, didn't we, after we did. the first three matches we got were just what they were. Well, uh, obviously, you know... Um, I've seen these two have better matches. Uh, the one in ECW at, at the Gangster's Paradise show, which was the Extreme Luchador. Best two out of three falls match. That really like springs to mind. Thank God they didn't do any of that here because we didn't need like a, a third hardcore match. Uh, both of these guys really were like, trying to bust their ass out there. And uh, eventually, some people were reacting. Not a whole load of people were reacting. So... <laughs> It is a shame, but, you know, this is the Sturgis crowd. They're not exactly hardcore wrestling enthusiasts. This might not be their cup of tea. Should this one a bit earlier in the card then, Billy? Uh, Yes, it should have opened the show. (laughs) It really should have. Uh, I think it would have got... um, Your wrestling fans at home would have got more excited for the rest of the show. And maybe you could have put Ming and Barbarian here. It would have been perfectly fine. I agree. What do we say, Bob? Well, I was quite disappointed by this match. Um, they've obviously had much better matches, let alone in WCW. I'm, I believe it was Bash of the Beach 96 that they had an incredible match. Yeah, that was one, it, of my, one of my matches of the year in 96. That was fantastic. Yeah, it's it's really a probably underrated match, really, um, amongst WCW fans. But, you know, I think at this point you're kind of uh, – you know, seeing that Ray maybe not be a hundred percent yet from his knee injury, because you know he didn't seem as crisp on some of the high risk moves. They didn't do seemingly that many, um, which may be because you know the crowd that they're currently dealing with. But um, you know, and, and, and part of me thinks wonders because as uh, Billy mentioned, that the crowd was kind of dead for it. And I don't want to sound ignorant at all with my next comment. But I wonder if it's because these guys are masked luchadors. Do these guys, do the fans, not care about you know two Mexican wrestlers, you know, doing various high spots? They might not be inclined to care all that much. Um, I mean, compared to the other three matches, you know, it was decent. But for myself, uh, you know, Psychosis and Ray are capable of much more. And I don't know if you would necessarily get 
in terms of the live audience, a better reaction, even if you start the show off with this kind of match. I think Megan Barbarian, two guys just beating the crap out of each other for the Sturgis crowd may have been the better direction to go to, to start it off. True, but if you have Megan Barbarian exchanging hard shots for five minutes and then you instantly go to this with them flying around the ring for 10 minutes, then you're showing off two different styles very quickly. That might cause a few more people in the crowd to it might pick their interest a little bit. Think, oh, what are we going to get next? Let's say, bringing this after two hardcore matches, I think they were always on a bit of a hiding to nothing. I was slightly disappointed with this. It was easily the best match we've had so far. That's not even saying much. But it almost felt like a... I'm not even sure it was a Nitro match. It almost felt like a Saturday night showcase, really. Uh, a couple of two or three really big high spots each, but they didn't really link them together very well. I still think Ray is probably only operating at about 80% after his injury. And psychosis is for him. He's phoning it in a bit these days. He's still got tremendous ability. He's got so many moves and skills in his locker, but even if he isn't really up on all cylinders, he can still give us something more than watchable, and that was the case here. But this was well down on what they gave us two years ago in WCW and before that in ECW as well. Still good fun. I didn't feel it was particularly high stakes. It didn't really feel like a title shot match. But um, when you think about it, it's probably completely the wrong crowd to put this on, but you've got to have this somewhere, haven't you? Yeah, it was good. It was fun. Some fine moves. Ray does something new every single match which just blows my mind. <coughs> the way he took that bridging electric chair and the, that springboard cannonball, that was at warp speed. Blink and you miss it, that kind of thing. These two are capable of better. I have no problem being put together on any future pay-per-views whatsoever because they're always going to get you something good. They gave us something good here, but it's like Bob used to say, just good doesn't really cut it anymore when you've got a roster with this high quality you probably expect, at the very least, very good. And I don't think we quite got that here. But I'm going to give these two, two guys credit for giving us something positive to talk about. Because it's uh, it's going to be a long time until we do so again. Because Chavo and Pepe are here. Chavo calls himself the TV champion. And he invites longtime friend of this crowd, Stevie Ray, out. He asks for the belt now, but Stevie ain't going to comply. So it's time for a match. But not before the ceremonial handshake. He chases Stevie around in order to get it, but no dice. So the bell rings, and it's Charbo versus Stevie. It is punched instead, but they get him nowhere. Ray easily takes control, and a sunset flip attempt gets nothing. Charbo goes to the eyes, but only succeeds in making Ray mad. Charbo runs, out Charbo runs outside the ring for a while, but then Stevie gets wise to it. Now you mine, baby, he says. Stevie hits the slapjack with total ease, and that's the three. Our second successive pay-per-view epic from these two, ladies and gents. <laughs> Stevie wants some more after the match, but Eddie comes down to his nephew's aid. He appears to try and talk some sense to Chavo, but he has no wish to hear it. Say, so Bob, these two have gone at it twice on pay-per-view now for a grand total of two minutes and two seconds. It's just not right for a pay-per-view, is it? Uh, I mean, this is better than the Flair Steamboat trilogy. <laughs> Easily. Easily. I mean, by far. No, I mean, I don't, I don't understand it. I mean, two minutes here... Um... I mean, filler comedy stuff. I don't understand. Same thing with the, their last match on the handshake nonsense. I don't understand the story. The main thing I got from this was just how pointless the hair versus hair match that Chavo had with Eddie because Chavo's hair is already back. You know, less than a month. It's at full length again of what he had when it got shaved off. But, <laughs> yes. I mean, I don't know. I just, I don't, I don't care about Stevie Ray as the TV champion. And, uh, you know, Chavo just seems to be getting the short end of the, Pepe stick, I guess. Um, Good one. 
hey, I try, you know. <laughs> no, this is it's just it sucked. I, I didn't care about it. Bob, bringing your best material for this show. I'm trying, guys. <laughs> we have to try. We have to try. Yeah, Billy, so two pay-per-views they've done this now. You can kind of get away with it for the sake of storyline advancement once, but twice is just not fair to your paying audience. Uh, no. Um, your paying audience deserves better than what they've got here. Uh, I do sort of feel a bit sorry for Chavo because I don't think he's done quite well with what he's been given uh, by the comedy stick. He seems to sort of be getting over. But why they just have him squashed by Stevie Ray, which which it essentially was, was it? It was just a squash. I feel like it's, it's uh, basically uh, undone all the hard work that Eddie and Chavo did with one another to sort of get this uh, character of Chavo Guerrero over. And... Uh, it's it squandered any momentum Chavo had with his new gimmick, really. And it, it is a, a bit of a shame that they've gone that route. And I don't know why they decided to do this Stevie Ray. Maybe they just wanted to get the new NWO member Stevie Ray on a pay-per-view. Who knows? That is probably it. The problem I have with the Chavo thing, he's gone from being crazy to just being a fool. And that is not the route they should have gone down here. Crazy Charbo playing around with Pepe the horse. It's stupid, but you can explain it away. They tried to suggest a couple of months ago that he has lost his mind. Now he's just an idiot. Crazy and idiot are not the same things. He just This was a match presented as him not fighting back and made him look like somebody who shouldn't be anywhere worthy of any belt, let alone the TV one. And when you couple this with four weeks later, they tried to tell a similar story with Eddie not wanting to fight back in his Nitro match, although say the basic tenor of the storyline there is very different. You get the impression, well, if these guys don't want to win belts, then why are they here? And people are going to turn off, especially as, as we said, this is a pay-per-view. This is where things are settled. It's not where things are advanced. Not that I want to see Stevie Ray go 20 minutes. Not that I really want to see Stevie Ray go two minutes. But you've got to understand, people are plonking down a hard hard money month after month. You can't just expect just because it's a pay-per-view come round, you're going to get the same 200,000 people buying it at best every single month. It's not going to happen. You've got to make people do it in this day and age. You know, people aren't made of money. Disposable income is called disposable income for a reason. And you've got to make people want to part with it. And two matches in mid-cards over the last two pay-per-views between guys which go just over two minutes in total, that is not going to cut it, especially when you consider what's coming up next. Rick Steiner is out for his long-awaited match with Scott, but Dylan tells it cannot take place. Why are we doing bait-and-switches on a pay-per-view? Scott is out for at least two weeks after Rick's chair shot. Buff then will Scott out on a stretcher complete with bandages and a neck brace and God knows what else. The crowd give that the full bullshit chance, and for once I'm with them. So we hear from Dylan that the match will take place at the next pay-per-view. And the attendees are really pleased to hear that. If Scott isn't able to wrestle then, he will be banned for life. Scott then comes to life in astonishment at that and then quickly scarpers before Rick get to him. Billy, they're doing it again. <laughs> and they're blatantly just waving it in your faces saying, ha ha, so what? Disgraceful. Is it not? I just don't get it. What, what are WCW up to here? Uh, and also, something that really bothers me is that they're turning this... Scott Steiner and Rick Steiner feud into comedy. Yep. I, I don't get it. It's like this feud has been building for 
the best part of uh, seven months now, isn't it? Yep. Started back at uh, Rick turned on him, uh, Scott turned on him back in February, I believe. Yeah, the Super Brawl pay per view. That's right. The, the team have been together since the late eighties. People want to see a you know a big grudge match between these two brothers, and they're going down this route. I, I just I got really angry with the pay per view at this point. Really angry. I doubt you'd be disagreeing on this one either, Bob. Well, I'm going to be uh, really angry at myself because I was laughing for, <laughs> uh, for the comedy that they were doing here. Well, today, um, today you've already proved your comedy skills, so it takes one to know one, I guess. Yeah, exactly. It just shows you what I find to be funny. <laughs> uh, I mean, but you're right. I mean, I would want to see these guys beat the crap out of each other. That seems to be how you would kind of progress it. And Rory, you were, you know, you almost uh, slipped up there and said that, you know, Rick Kern, uh, Scott, you know, you can make the argument that he did by not joining NWO with Scott. No, there you go. So you that, that could be seen as a, a turn on, on himself there. But uh, I don't know. I mean, yeah, they're kind of dragging it out. I mean, I guess it would make sense if you dragged it out if, uh, you know, at Fall Brawl, these guys just have a crazy bloody battle or something. But this is WCW. That's probably not going to happen. I think Rick is definitely the heel here after not joining up with people who tried to run him and his brother off the road a year before. Definitely well, the bad guy. I mean, yeah, they, I mean, that just shows that the NWO will do anything. You would want to align yourself with that. If somebody tried to hit me with a car and leave me for dead, I would instantly join them as soon as I, as soon as I come back to full health. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah again, I won't repeat what I just said about WCW uh, swiping off their uh, pay-per-view audience, but just to say we've waited too long for this match now. I know Rick did have a legitimate injury, but they tried to buy that buy time they didn't need to buy back in March and April. When Scott turned on Rick in February, people just wanted to see the match there and then, and now I'm almost past caring. And if you're going to make, say, a tag team of nearly 10 years and one of your build-ups to it is having Buff Bagwell do a cod Jamaican accent, suggest you're not really bothered, so why should I be? They have to do this match at four ball now. I think it's already too late, but they've got to try to salvage something from this. But again, I'm not sure I trust them to do it. How apt. Dusk is starting to descend at the, at the arena, and here comes Brian Adams versus Steve McMichael. A clean break from Mongo because that is how a good guy does it. We then get the same from Adams. They spend about 10 seconds working into some kind of double-arm DDT, which Tanae optimistically calls unique. Adams with a wonky slam and then a leg drop, and a two-count, and a nerf hold, and a clothesline over the top rope, and then Vincent sends him to the steps. Backbreaker for two. He misses a knee drop off the second rope, though. Mongo with a ropey side slam, and then the football tackles are here. Adam cuts him off with something. He goes for a pile driver, but the ref takes a bang in the face. Vince with a chair, but of course he misses his target and hits Crush, as I've called him. Heenan, Vincent should go to the chair. Harsh, but fair. Mongo Spike, as the ref comes to put me out of my not inconsiderable misery. Uh, for Bob, before I go and stick my head in a food blender, sum this one up. I would say for a Thunder main event, it was probably okay. But for a undercard pay-per-view match, this was just disgusting. Uh, you know, the finish there with Vincent with the chair—he lit—he basically hit himself with the chair before Mongo hit him with it. If you if you look close, he pressed it against it. Like, hey man, I'm right here. I'm ready for it. It just looked bad. I'm, I don't know. I have no idea 
why this is on pay-per-view. If this is some kind of bonus match or something, WCW needs to understand that bonus is supposed to be good. Like they're still not getting that uh, concept here. This is just had no reason to be at Road Wild. Be quick, Billy, please. <laughs> <laughs> well, this was six minutes, and six minutes was far too long for both of these two. Um, lots of lumbering around. Uh, well, it really says everything it needs to be said about this match is about after two minutes. They ran out of ideas and went to a fucking nerve old. So there we go. Thanks, Mongo. Thanks, Brian, for taking six minutes of my life. <laughs> Thanks for nothing. Sorry. The Vincent should go to the chair line was the only redeeming feature from this match. And I think we should just move on before we lose all our listeners completely. Because now it's Cruiserweight title time. You're all going to be rewarded now, folks. Chris Jericho defending against Juventus Guerrero. Dean Malenko is the referee here. If you dig out your old best of the WWF tapes from the mid-80s, you will see that this is not uncharted territory for him. Jericho takes the mic, so already I'm far more interested than I have been in any part of this show so far. And he says, I want you to want me. Here's Mike Dad today on commentary. Well, he is the master of the cheap trick, isn't he? Tony's reaction to that could be summed up as, didn't he, didn't he, didn't he feel like crying? Chris, of course, came here today on his Honda bike, which goes down well with the crowd. We actually get a, we actually get a camera shot of some schmo revving his engine. Yeah, that's not a euphemism. Anyway, here we go. Clean break again in the corner because Dino makes sure of it. Hoovy with a slap and then a nice drop toe hold. Perfect drop kick and some hard chops, but Jericho knife edges his way back into it and then a jumping back kick gets him into control. Jericho gives Malenko some verbals and then Dean shoves him down. This is important storyline stuff. So, of course, the camera completely misses it. Hoovy back in with a missile drop kick and then Jericho is on the floor. Guerrero dives through the legs and pulls him down off the apron head first. Super springboard planted to the outside by Hooventude and he lands heavily on his knee. Back in with a slingshot leg drop for two and Jericho is back with some low snap drop kicks. He puts on the brakes on a whip but Hooventude gets in another slingshot crossbody for a two. He goes up top for one more but Jericho catches him this time. He holds him up and spikes him down on the follow through. That was superb. Tony's just for two count for that might have been a little slow. Vertical suplex and come on baby also scores a two. Jericho is the only heel on the show so far to actually get heat, which he plays up masterfully as Hoovy recovers. Big slam and a rolling sent on for what probably is a slow two count. Big Jericho sucks chance as JG blocks a suplex into one of his own. The match is noticeably slowed down as Hoovy blocks for Lion Salt. Big chops to the chest and a super head scissor takedown. Hoovintuda sends the buckles and hits a flying body attack. Again, a slow count from Dean, but that's just his way. German suplex by Jericho, but G lands on his feet. He attacks, but Jericho is able to work him into the double deadlift powerbomb. His springboard's shoulder tackle to the apron is enough to put Hoopentude down on the outside. Clothesline's in the ring, and that is a two and a half. And Jericho does not like that. He tries a powerbomb, but a huge DDT counter by Hoobie is on. A two count there, and then the same off a Hoobie driver. We all... We all Excuse me. We all know that is time for the 450, but barely anybody in the audience does. So there's no build-up for Jericho cutting him off, which is a shame. Both on top and a massive superplex by Jericho, and we get a double down. Hoovy drapes the arm at nine, but he can't score the win just yet. Jericho with a butterfly pickup, which he swings into the lion tamer. What a great move that was. Guerrero is able to get to the ropes, though, much to Chris's consternation. Hoovy has had enough, and he wails away. But in doing so, he catches Dino in the eye. So he is, 
He is unable to see Jericho use the belt. The Lionheart demands he makes the count, which he does with some reluctance, but Hoovy is able to kick out. We are back on the ropes, but Milenko actually pulls Hooventude off them. That seems a little odd, but when Jericho kicks him in the face, Hoovy makes a charge, and then Dean helps him up to execute a runner off the top ropes and into the tight cover for the one, the two, the three, and the new champion. Milenko then nails Jericho out of the ring for good measure. So then, Billy, we had storyline, we had great action, and we had the right ending. See, sometimes they can do it. <laughs> uh, yes, um, I was quite surprised um, that WCW actually were able to, to to do this, you know, pay it off at long last, uh, give us something to sink our teeth into. Uh, I, I really like the storyline element which was added to this match with Dean Malenko being the referee. But you sort of could see what the finish was going to be. Where Obviously, what's been going on between him and Jericho for months is probably going to cost him the belt in some kind of way. You could sort of tell that the swerve was on. But the way that they got there and they built this match, it all made perfect sense. And when they did eventually get to the payoff and the finish, it was... It went over so well with me personally and the crowd really became invested. I think that was like the biggest pop of the night, wasn't it? When Juventud Guerrero finally pinned Chris Jericho. And uh, obviously Jericho's been doing gangbusters as of late as the Hill Cruiserweight champion. I just do sort of worry for Juventud going forward that (laughs) what will he be given next? I, I do worry that he'll get lost in the shuffle and the Cruiserweight tile, which seemed to get elevated here, will probably fall down a peg or two because I don't know <laughs> what is next for Hooventut. Yeah, I think the day after this, Jericho just suddenly... I think it was the day after this, Jericho just suddenly won the TV title. He did, yes. As I said before, the Cruiserweight TV and even the US belts, they're completely interchangeable, which is a shame. But here, Bob, I think everybody did their absolute utmost to give us something good, and they succeeded. Uh, Yeah, compared to everything else on this show, this is a match of the decade. But, uh, you know, no, you guys are right. I mean, they tell the story. The conclusion is probably ideal. Personally, I would have rathered maybe at Fall Brawl, Jericho lose the belt to Malenko just to kind of conclude that finally, cleanly, middle of the ring, you know, not have any kind of shenanigans involved with it. But... I mean, this you know plays back into Super Bowl when Hoovy lost the mask to Jericho, so there's a level of continuation in the story here. But Billy was right, too. I was surprised the crowd was into this as much as they were, just based off of Ray Psychosis. But again, this has more of a story to it. And, uh, you know, the action was, was pretty solid. Malenko's involvement in what he was doing was kind of obvious of where the finish was indeed going to go. But... You know, luckily this show wasn't a complete waste of time because this was a, a quality match and it was worth the time to watch it, I thought. Yeah, when you have a really good match on a terrible pay-per-view, I'm thinking Six versus Eddie Guerrero from Sold Out 97, for example, it's easy to overstate it because you so much dross before, so much dross afterwards. You pick the one diamond in the rough and you caress it and love it and kiss it and <laughs> take it to outrageous heights. But I still think it's pretty deserved with this one. This was wonderful. Not only due to the tremendous action in the ring. I mean, some of the stuff Jericho was doing here, 
I think he is now a top-grade worker. He's always been excellent. Now I think he's even better than that. And he's in there with the names we reel off every single month. He's fantastic. Not only that, but this story goes to say all the way back to February with Hubie losing his mask. And it tied in with all the Malenko stuff. Because when Malenko wiped out Jericho three months ago to win the title, I thought it was going to be a one and done. And I didn't think they necessarily had the right idea in keeping the storyline going. But they have. They've had Dean almost win, but not quite get there. They've had him lose his last chance match, if you remember, on Nitro by disqualification. But he still has done enough to get himself involved as a referee, which is why JJ appointed him. And I really like the way they played it here. It would have been very easy for him to just screw Jericho, beat him up. Didn't do that. It would have been unrealistic for him to not do anything and hold his own nerve for 20 minutes. So they had him attack Jericho early, but not enough to, say, cause a DQ or get JJ to come out and say that he's being unfair. It's a shame the camera missed that, but never mind. And then right at the very end, it wasn't obvious. It's not like he pelted Jericho with a chair, stuck him in the cloverleaf, and then let Hoobie hit the 450 with him prone. No, he just guided Hoobie up when he was going for a going for a Rana. So there was enough there that you could say that Malenko felt slighted enough to try to help get the belt off Jericho, but not enough where he, the babyface, was outright cheating to do so. I thought that was some really subtle stuff which played off the last three months. And that, coupled with the quality of the in-ring action with two of the very best the company have to offer, this is the sort of stuff I want to be seeing. I thought this was fantastic. And if you decided to give this pay-per-view a miss, you very much made the right decision. But do yourselves a favor and check out this. It's the best match these two have had. They've had a lot on pay-per-view and on TV. This was far and away the greatest. Jericho is a superstar. I say I do agree with Billy. Hooventude isn't going to get above this level. But if he is going to be here, then at least be the very best thing in it. And I think right now he is. So full marks to everybody involved. And they managed to get a crowd who didn't care cheering somebody they probably had never heard of 15 minutes ago to the skies. So well done, everybody. And boy, was this required at this point. Here's Shivani on the bike rally itself. If you don't like it, you can just come here and look at the girls. It's okay, Tony. I'm sure nobody is going to tell Lois about that one. Naughty, naughty. Okay, the NWO Battle Royal. You know that we're in Sturgis when not even Hey Yo gets a reaction. As such, Hall gets booze when he asks who is here to see the Red Hot Black and White Express. The mention of the Wolfpack does get a cheer, though. And yes, dropping Goldberg's name worked, too. More on that in a second. Okay, representing the black and white here, we've got Hall, Giant, Hennig, and Norton. All of the Wolfpack are here. Sorry, sorry. I mean, Wolfpack in the house. No, I just can't get that one right. The ninth man here is indeed Bill Goldberg. Mike Tanay actually says how odd it is that the world champion is in this match, and he is not far wrong. The bell rings and everybody bar Goldberg pairs off. He does, though, go after the Giants, and the crowd love that. He brushes off Hennig and attacks Hall. Nash kicks him, but he can still backdrop Hall over the top rope for the first elimination. Will Scott never learn? Going for that move by the top rope, and look what happens. Nash then eliminates himself in order to avoid putting anybody over. Oh, no, sorry. It's because he wants to attack Scott Hall so much. Of course it is. No, Nash, you ain't fooling me. The only thing in this match anybody remotely cares about is Giant versus Goldberg. Anything else is met by total crickets, which includes Bill easily tossing Conan. Panic tries to dump him but gets nowhere. The spear then wakes him up a bit and out he goes. Goldberg then guides both out Sting and Norton over the top rope. Sting just looked like a total jobber there, by the way. 
Spear to Luger and then Giant throws him off like the, like the morning rubbish. Two left and Giant chokes Lambs Goldberg, but he shakes it off. There's the spear and there's the jackhammer. Yes, he did get Giant up for a jackhammer, people. A cover for the pin, because you can do that here. And a one, two, three. What is Bill Goldberg, world champion Bill Goldberg, doing here? He is here to take out the NWO and save WCW. Really? <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know, man. This, this, this is a frustrating show. This felt, it just felt like an easy payday for all the top guys. Uh, you know, Nash was in there for about twelve seconds. Uh, you know, Scott Hall seemed like he was in there for about six. Uh, you know, NWO, this whole fighting thing, I don't know. I guess it's just a matter of, you know, who's cooler, you know, who's black and white cooler than black and red. I don't understand any of this stuff. And then having Goldberg pin giant in a meaningless battle royal, in which you mentioned was probably the most interesting confrontation in the whole thing. And I personally would think it'd be the next ideal step. I've mentioned it before, you know, Goldberg giant should be, you know, potentially uh you know halloween havoc or something uh you know because it would probably catch my interest and want to see it but now i've seen it he hit the spear he did you know the question of could he do the jackhammer he's done the jackhammer so there's really no no mystery there for me uh but now this is just it's weird to see the world champion in a filler battle royal and, and none of the guys really putting forth that much of an effort Billy, it's both weird and very stupid to have Goldberg, the world champion, in a meaningless battle royal, is it not? He is incredibly stupid. Uh, I, I don't understand WCW the best of times, or their booking philosophies. Anyway, um, I can't understand why they decided to put Goldberg here, and I'm, I'm certainly not going to get in the mind of Dusty Rhodes or Kevin Sullivan, whoever's got the book down there now, Terry Taylor, whoever. But... I feel like Bob said, you know, it was basically a, a chance to fit everyone on the card and get a payday. The only sort of problem they have with all of this is they have sort of like thrown away um, some big time uh, first time matches with Goldberg. For instance, you know, he did have a few interactions uh, with Sting in here and that is a, a huge money match. Obviously, Kevin Nash and Scott Hall... They had the easiest payday ever. They're, they didn't have any interaction so with Goldberg, so at least they didn't, you know, throw that away. Uh, it's just it it makes my mind boggle how they decided to to do this match. Why, like you guys pointed out, why didn't they just do Giant and Goldberg? It was the next logical step uh, to take that character to have him defeat the Giant here. Why do this match unless you just wanted to get everyone on the card? Well, apparently they were they were going to do Giant v Goldberg for Brawl, but that is not happening. At this moment in time, Bill Goldberg, the world champion no less, is not even going to be on the card. Just think about that one for a second. What are they doing? Also, as meaningless as this Battle Royal was, it was not the initial plan. This was meant to be a 4v5 tag match with the black and white against Wolfpack and Goldberg. Yes, that's right. The heels were going to be disadvantaged. <laughs> uh, at well, least they didn't do that. Apparently, members of the Wolfpack were legitimately unhappy that they would need Goldberg's help to win, which is why that one was nixed. 
But again, it was replaced by an equally stupid idea. A battle royal in which nobody really gets over. Hall goes out after two minutes. Maybe that was punishment for what happened the week before, but I think it would have happened anyway. Nash puts nobody over, because of course he doesn't. Sting, remember that guy? Looks like a complete and utter jobber. And the only thing that the crowd really care about and want to see is done within two minutes of interaction. As you say, Bob, there's the spear, there's the jackhammer. That's a potential money match done and dusted. And they have no real opponents for Bill Goldberg at this moment. So he faced Meng the day after this. We have a tag match on the 24th, which we'll talk about a bit later. And then on August the 31st, it's as if we're back to where we were in September 97. He's facing Al Green, for goodness sake. Scraping the hole where the barrel used to be. And it just suggests what we hinted at last month, that Goldberg getting the belt as early as he did wasn't the plan at this point. And they don't really know what to do with him. There are a lot of people on the roster who you can say that to, but one of those guys is your world champion, for God's sake. I was going to say it sets the alarm bells ringing, but I think they've been firing off for a good six months now for various reasons, but they're just sticking their fingers in their ears. La, 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 I can't hear you. Because the crowd do like Goldberg. When he hits the spear and jackhammer, You know that is going to wake up even the most casual casual fan. Why not just move? Giant, giant the Goldberg to this particular show. Then you know you've got a big guy being mowed down by this huge monster. People will pay attention to that, but they chose to give the NWO a payday because there was no other real way of doing it. And we got their world champion being completely wasted. And as I say, unless the things change in the next two weeks, he won't even be on the show. Just quickly on that, Bob, not even having your world champion on the show. If that is what happens, are they just trying to commit suicide here? I would have to think so. And, and what you mentioned, uh, so just a quick rundown here. July, he faced Henning. He's in a battle royal. And now at Fall Brawl, he's not even scheduled to be on there. Yep. That's got to be one of the worst pay-per-view title runs that I've ever heard of. It's not looking good, is it, Billy? No, no it is not looking good. Not looking good for Goldberg in the long run. It almost seems as if the guys in the back, certain guys are probably sabotaging this who knows ever the cynic mr billy johnson i'm sure you're completely <laughs> wrong on that one speaking of which here comes hulk hogan <laughs> there's, a, there's a segue for you after the usual lavish introductions for the nwo team we discover that jay leno is indeed here like any good jobber he carries a flag bearing the name of the show but jay you're winning this one kevin eubanks who is um Bob? I might need your help here. He, I've got him down as the leader of the band on the show. Is that right? Is that who Kevin Eubanks is? Yeah, he's um, yeah, he's like basically the sidekick guy. But yeah, oh, okay, cool. Cheers. And uh, some other bloke is there with him as well. Oh, him. What's his name? Darman Dialus Paggy. Is it? He's something like that. But he's in this match as well for some reason. Okay, so our main event is indeed Hogan and Bischoff versus Diamond Dallas Page, and that's Jay Leno. He dumps water on the heels as they have their conference outside. Unlike two years ago, the crowd know who Hogan is these days as a heel, and they start a Hogan sucks chant. Leno dares Bischoff to hit him, but we are starting with Paige and Hogan. Hulk with some shoves, and then the do-rag throw of instant death. Arm ringer is reversed, and then Paige is able to drive the shoulders in. Leno leans in for a slap, which everybody liked, and a swinging neck breaker as Hogan scurrying for cover. Eubank sends him to the post, and he holds him back in, and a Paige roll-up gets a two. Hogan assumes control with the usual, whilst Bischoff talks rubbish in the corner. Tag is made to Bischoff and now Leno wants in. 
The ref sees him off, though, as Eric lays in some kicks, but gets sent down to the mat by one by DDP. Tags Lalo and he is ready to go, but Bischoff escapes to his own corner to make the tag. So we actually do get Leno versus Hogan. Jay manages to run away with some... Sorry, Jay manages to run away from some lockup attempts and then suggests that our boy Terry might be somewhat phonically challenged. He runs off again and then tags Paige. Worryingly, Hogan and Paige repeat their exact change from earlier and now Leno's back again. He's keen. He executes a full arm dragon twist that works Hogan to the mat. That doesn't work for Hollywood, brother. A few knees and then Leno is wisely out. No, he's back in again for a double clothesline. And then he goes for a cover and gets a two. Hogan nabs a chair, but Eubanks pinches it off him and hits Hogan very gently. Bischoff, who I'd almost forgotten about, gets knocked off the apron, but Hogan attacks DDP from behind and takes charge with some feeble excuses for offense this time. Eric has learned from the best on that score as his punches are terrible. Patience shows his next-door neighbor how it is really done. The disciple throws Hogan a tape fist something, and he puts Bischoff on top for the cover, but thankfully it only gets two. The Hogan big foot, as Tony always calls it, but no leg drop. Desperation closed on by Page, and then the hot tag to Leno, and it was a hot tag. Eric tries to make nice, but that's not going to work now. Eric with an eye poke, but Leno is in with the equalizer with a good old shot to the balls and a couple of hard right hands. He sends Bischoff to the buckle, and now the crowd counts along with that spot. Bischoff grabs him for Hogan to make a strike, but Leno ducks. Page then sends Hogan to the outside as Eubanks gets in. He hits Bischoff with the cutter. Leno then wraps him up for the cover, and that secures the win. Comedy lives the fight another day. After a brief celebration, the heels attack, but Goldberg comes to the rescue, so he does at least get kind of involved with the main event for a double spear. Everybody feel the bang as this pay-per-view is finally over. Billy, pick this one apart for us. <laughs> you know, I'd love to. I'd love to get my shovel out and start burying it. But um, believe it or not, I think this is uh, going to shock you. Uh, I actually thought this match was all right. Oh, it could God. have been a lot worse if it was longer, like the previous month's uh, match, tag team match with Cole Malone, uh, PDP. Uh, versus Drunk Rodzilla and uh, Hulk Hogan. That was really, really long. This was pretty short, which was good. <laughs> it didn't need to be, you know, uh, 45 minutes or 37 minutes or whatever it was. It could have been really, really bad considering you've got Jay Leno, who is uh, obviously a talk show host. I don't really know much about Jay Leno. Uh Hulk Hogan seemed to sell for Jay Leno, which was quite surprising, you know. <laughs> Won't necessarily sell for other wrestlers, but he was more than willing and cooperative to sell for, for Jay here. Obviously, yeah, <laughs> this was um, pretty terrible. Uh, the finish was pretty awful. Um, it, I, I don't really know what else to, to add to this to this match and how to, to review it, it was it happened <laughs> and it was a main event in 1998 on a WCW pay-per-view someone thought it was a good idea and someone thought it would draw money I wonder who Bob, <laughs> that, that groan of yours a couple of minutes ago says it all but uh, expand on it if you can or even if you need to yeah, well, I just thought it was funny that Billy started off saying, you know, oh, you know, it was decent. And then about six sentences later, he's like, it was fucking awful. 
so just that gives you the context right there. Now, this is just horrible. When Leno, when Hogan was selling for Leno, I almost turned my TV off. It just blew my mind that he's selling for a Tonight Show host. His arms are, is like spaghetti. You got Eubanks, who's like jacked up to the gills on the floor, who should probably be in the match, uh, just for visual sakes. It was just, it was awful. I mean, the, the, the only good thing for Leno is that he's got a top three chin in professional wrestling history. That's the only thing he's got going for himself. Aside from that, this, this sucked. It was it was just really <laughs> truly bad, and I out of all this, I feel bad for Carl Malone because he took it really seriously, and he couldn't get a win. That's but a Jay, but Jay fucking Leno <laughs> gets a pay per view win in WCW. Just that, a complete joke. Yeah, that's a really good call, Bob. I'm glad you made that point. Malone, as we know, he trained really hard for that match. Dennis Rodman did not. He was getting drunk with Pearl Jam six days before. Yeah. Malone was working day and night, apparently, to get himself in shape for that match. Did the absolute best he could, and his team didn't win. Jay Leno turns up, waddles around a couple of times, points at his chin 20 times. Yes, okay, Jay, we can see it. <laughs> did seem to be having fun. I'll give him that. But when you've got Hulk Hogan, or whatever you think of Hogan, we, most of us dislike him these days, and with good reason. Uh, he's still, you know, Hulk Hogan. He is Mr. Pro Wrestling. He should not be selling for a talk show host. Uh, there are many other people, as you say, Billy, on the card who we really should be showing a lot more ass for just because he probably wants Jay Leno's job <laughs> in addition to many other jobs does not mean he should be doing it. This was terrible. The only thing, I, of course, it was terrible. I'm not going to try and pick this apart. It was god-awful. It was always going to be. But as such, as awful as it was, I can't really say that I hated it because I went in expecting it to be terrible. The main event we had last month, I thought could have been fairly decent. But in that one, as we say, Robman just didn't want to know. So it was pretty much dead on arrival. And it was 10 minutes longer than this. I was going to say this was harmless, but it wasn't even harmless. People paid money for it. But conversely, the crowd, or as we know, were there for free. They obviously reacted to the babyface team because they knew who Jay was. So if you are absolutely going to have this match, if you really need to do it, at least put it on a pay-per-view where you're going to attract people who are going to pay to come to the arena as well. Even if you want to try and balance it out because you know how much they love free TV over pay-per-view, put it on a big nitro even. At least you're going to get a lot of money at the gate. Here they've only really got the pay-per-view receipts. You're going to fill out an arena of 16,000, 17,000 if you have Joe Leno on there, whatever he does, even if that does involve wrestling. But yes, this is probably the one match this year, the one main event I'm not going to try and break down because it's just impossible. Uh, you've got two non-wrestlers in there. You've got Hogan and DDP both working in their bottom rung gear. And Hogan on bottom rung gear is not something I really want to discuss anyway. So yeah, atrocious, terrible professional wrestling match, but it was always going to be. But at the same time, I think it was very fitting for this pay-per-view. Rubs hands with glee. Billy, I'm going to come to you first. Your thoughts, <laughs> if you can put them into words, and your score rating out of 10. Uh, I don't think I could put my thoughts into words without swearing an awful lot. Um, two good matches. One that was really, really good and worth to go and watch again. So I would give this show a 2 out of 10, and that's being kind. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. This is just truly, truly bad. 
the only worthwhile only worthwhile match to check out is Jericho and Hoovy. So I guess just because I don't want to insult those two guys, I'll give it two and a half. Yep, I'm actually with you on two and a half. Just thinking about it because that was such a superb match, and those two worked so hard to give us something watchable. I think even they knew that we'd had horrible, horrible stuff beforehand, and even worse was to come afterwards. And you did have that decent to good Mysterio psychosis match as well. Everything else on this was bland at the very, very best and outright awful at its regular very, very worst. This one doesn't even hold any morbid fascination. Seek out the two good matches and forget the rest even existed. Two and a half out of ten, and it's a low two and a half. A bad, bad show. And I just want to say about the poor guys I've got on this uh, program with me today. They were both very keen on joining the fray back in January this year. I wonder <laughs> if they are reconsidering at this point. I'm announcing my retirement right here and right now. <laughs> oh, you're in it for the long haul. There's no escape. Ah, uh, damn it. Two and a half out of ten for Road World 98. Do yourself a favor and steer well clear. As we start Nitro on the 10th in Rapid City, North Dakota, Tony informs us that right now he can't show us or even tell us what happened in the pay-per-view main event. As you will have learnt on this show, we have no such restrictions. On anything, which means I have to watch Dog and V Barbarian again. A roll-up takes it for Jimbo this time. And again, Meng is to the rescue after the Hugh Morris and Jimmy Hart beat down. Then both Duggan and Doug Dillinger get Tongan death gripped. I think I'm supposed to be impressed. Gene invites Luger out for a natter. He believes that last week he was laid out by both Scott Hall and Bret Hart. Lex is not leaving until he gets a fight or a match with you, Hitman. Bret strolls out to respond and calls Luger a damn liar, and for all we know, Lex could have been beaten up by one of the vendors. He calls Lex jealous, which he must have pulled out of the comments from March 1994 box, and says he has the real friendship with Sting. Luger rebuffs this and demands that Bret put up the US title or he will knock his teeth down his throat right now. Bret perhaps wary of his own history with dentists, accepts the former. Disco and Wright are here, but only to berate poor old Magnum, with Alex telling him he should commit Harry Curry, and then they let him take an easy loss at the hands of Eddie's frog splash. Saturn calls out Canyon for a one-on-one match and he gets his wish. Canyon once again shows off his highly impressive moveset, and Saturn gives as good as he gets as well. Lodi hops onto the apron which allows Raven to hit the even flow on Saturn, with a befuddled Canyon then getting the win. We see Meng backstage going after more officials. Nope, I'm still not convinced. They are calling Mongo's finisher for Tombstone Piledriver again. Hmm. I know this because he beat Sick Boy with it. Hogan and his usual two cohorts are here. The MWIs want their belt back, so Hogan calls for a shot sooner rather than later. Hmm. I wonder which one of those it will be. We then get a PSA from Bischoff, who states that the NWO will provide the security for the Goldberg Meng World Title match later tonight. I've already lost count to how many things are wrong with that sentence. Charvo is due to face Stevie for the TV title, but he can't find Pepe anywhere. It turns out that he is in Jericho's possession. He goes Junior to the back and then emerges with a decapitated hobby horse. Yes, I just typed that. Jericho takes this opportunity to have the title shot himself, and Stevie agrees. For whatever reason, Giant comes out and destroys Ray. Jericho ensures the ref can't see this, and he quickly whips on the lion table to become TV champion. 
Bischoff is here to show us doctored footage from the PPV. Yes, we are still doing this. Suggesting that he and Hogan were victorious on Saturday. Listeners, I need your help. What rhymes with insecure? Liz Mark Jr. and Ray and Psychosis have what Tony actually calls a triple threat match. It is a ton of fun, and it is eventually won by Ray, after Psychosis accidentally guides him into a Rana onto Lismark. We're getting Luger v Brett now. The Hitman brings his broomstick game for this one, as he needed to. He kicks out of the bionic forearm at 2.9, but then falls victim to the rack after missing with a brass nuck shot, and he submits, and Luger is the new US champion. Brett, my old pal, it ain't going well, is it? Hoovy v Kidman, they don't have the opportunity to give us a worthy sequel to their barn burner in May, as it is Guerrero wins a criminally short outing with the 450. Raven punishes members of the flock for his defeat on Saturday, and now I guess it must be our turn as we see him take on Horace. Not for long though, as the chastened flock get diverted by Canyon, so Saturn executes the Death Belly Driver, meaning Horace gets the three count. Hennig versus Conan, it's nothing until Conan tries to choke Hennig with the chain. Not that there's something after that. Hall and Giant versus Nash and Sting is with us once again. Sting actually gets a bit of shine for the first time in a while at the expense of Hall. He locks on the Scorpion, but Giant then chokeslams the ref for the dirt cheap DQ. Even the commentary team struggle to hide their anger at how poor that finish was. So, Goldberg defending the world title is all about the NWO factions watching on from the outside. And of course, the Tongan death grip doing nothing this time. It's 1-3-1-0, but the real story involves Hogan and Nash. I hope you were sitting down for that revelation. Hogan sneaks in with a chair shot, which is actually sold by Goldberg, but Kev prevents any more damage being done. Goldberg blames Kev for the strike though, and spears him right into the end credits. A nice easy one for my WrestleMania 11 challenge this week, as this edition of Nitro comes from the Hartford Civic Center. The NWO start us off. Bishop is actually carried to the ring by the Giant, before Hogan says that he is the reason all the fans are here today. And in this part of the world, he might not be far wrong. He will get his belt back later tonight, after the Giant wins and then hands the thing to him. Hmm, where did he get that idea from? JJ is here to make the main event of War Games. This year it will be three teams of three. The captains are Messrs Hogan, Page and Nash. And the winning man will get a title shot at Goldberg at Halloween Havoc. Yes, this does rather telegraph tonight's main event, doesn't it? Hey, nice suplex you've got there, sick boy. Would be a shame to completely botch it though, huh? Oh, you're booked with Mongo. Carry on. McMichael wins with the spike. I have bailed out on the DDP doing an interview with Gene on Nitro drinking game. I quite like my innards being where God intended. Thanks all the same. He has spoken face to face to somebody he would like to join him on his War Games team, but the only clues are he flew out west to see him and that he holds a win over Hogan. Page Van has a go at the NWO for beating him up in Utah. When a hitman comes out and he takes exception over it, complete with name drop of the WCW. Page dares him to prove you know what epithet, and Brett accepts after saying that if it wasn't for Sting, Lex Luger would be lying dead somewhere. Fucking hell. Raven and his dinosaur junior feel the pain t-shirts have to endure a Horace promo. Raven agrees, but only to a tag match. He gives Horace Canyon and he picks Saturn. Dylan hops in to say that if anybody attacks their own partner, they will be suspended for 90 days. The Dancing Dodos and High Voltage are next, but they exist only in order for Meng to Tong and Death Grip everybody, and everything, that moves. Including Billy Silverman, who sells it by sticking out his tongue. The big guy even manages to shake off Pepper Spray. 
main, that is, not Billy Silverman. Eddie is here with a travel bag and a plastic cup. He dares Bischoff to fire him, as he is tired of being unable to get his attention. I come to work with my heart, and all you do is step on it. He wants out of his contract right now, whatever it takes. He then symbolically throws coffee on himself, before telling Eric he can stick it up as you know what. The Everybody Hates Everybody tag team match is fairly good fun, until Porris blasts Canyon with the stop sign, and Saturn pins him after the DVD. Afterwards, they all sort of attack one another with the frog also getting involved, and Raven finally standing tall. Wolfpacker here, with rather oddly, Luger leading the crowd in Hartford. Ah, what could have been, eh? Sting takes the mic and he wouldn't mind being in the War Games match next month, as he has quite the history there. Nash claims ownership of two sweet for the red and black, and that's that. Scott Norton beats Scott Potsky when Scott pins Scott with a powerbomb. Could you stop saying gummy so much? Oh boy, Hogan is out and blurbs away with the usual. When he says there is nobody he cannot beat, we get a power surge. The lights go out, the lightning crashes, and OMFG, it's the bloody warrior. He's even brought his own mic. You're as batshit as he is if you think I'm recapping this one. Although his response to Hogan sucks with let's tell him something he doesn't know is pretty funny actually. And this dude must be your barber isn't half bad either. We'll talk about this more in a bit, but for now, be ready for his revolution next week. He then disappears in a cloud of smoke. I'll leave it to Tony. He has literally vaporised before our eyes. Oh, this is what we've got. Hennig V. Milenko is up now, and it's very good. A knee to the back by Rude and a Hennigplex seal this one. Steiner is out and the entire left side of his body is in a cast. He has his doctor with him, who looks a bit like D. Schneider after the walk of shame, to confirm that he won't be ready to face Rick at Fall Brawl, who briefly shows up to say the match will happen next month, whether Scott likes it or not. Triple threat match between Stevie, Jericho and Charbo doesn't get far before the giant chokeslams the former. Jericho is able to sneak out the win, as only he can. Brett DDP now. Match is decent until Brett reaches for the Nux again. He hits Paige and hides him in Dallas trunks. We bumble along for a bit until the diamond cutter goes on. Hart is somewhat able to come to and get the ref to check Paige's trunks. And there the Nux are. What have you done with the real Bret Hart? <sighs> Here's our Goldberg Giant main event. It only goes three minutes until the spear is here. Sadly so, so is the Disciple for the cheap-ass DQ. Although Tony is sure to log that as a win for Bill. They beat down on him until the red and black help out, but when Kev holds up their nemesis, Goldberg accidentally spears him. Fade to black.
listen to all the innuendos and speculation that something ultimate or warrior may soon reappear. Welcome to the reappearance. Those things, Hogan, which are irreplaceable, whether they be people's places or things, are never forgotten. You are witnessing that right now. Hogan is visibly shaken. <laughs> he, he, he is speechless. Has, has no idea where to go, what to say, what to do next. And the fans here are into it. He's at a loss for words. Bischoff looks sick. History tells us, Hogan. something he doesn't know. Bingo. History tells us, Hogan, that a man's legacy is built from the premise that within his life, the moments lived, once lived, become a piece of his history. Somehow, you have conveniently, even eloquently, misplaced pieces of your history. In the one time epical battle between us, Hogan, you were the quintessential influence of what was good, great, and heroic. But different than you may remember, and albeit you may have beaten myths, legends, giants, and other great men, you never, never beat a warrior. A few TV things to discuss before we wrap up for the month. Yes, he's back, everybody, as you've heard, and that was an edited version of the promo. Bob, Warrior is here. We've been trailing his arrival for what seems like many months now, but they finally pulled the trigger on the August the 17th edition of Monday Nitro, a show which just happened to be in Hartford, Connecticut. And it was kind of the same old Warrior. He didn't really mention planets aligning or the Founding Fathers, but otherwise it was kind of the Warrior we've come to expect. We've kind of already broke down his arrival in the news over the last couple of months, so I just want to get your thoughts on where you think he stands in 1998 and where this seems to be going, which of course will be a match with Hulk Hogan at some point. So your thoughts on the Warrior promo we've heard a bit of there, this one Warrior Nation stuff, 
and the rather chilling prospect of Hogan v. Warrior 2. All right. Well, I, I couldn't even tell you what the hell he was fucking talking about. <laughs> you and the rest of us. I mean, I mean, this has been going on for, what, 10 years. I, don't, I have no idea what the hell the guy talks about, uh, probably 90% of the time. The prospects of him and Hogan um, in WCW in 1998, do I have to see that? Do I have to watch that? Is it mandatory? That that has to happen. Well, I think they will at least put it on pay-per-view this time. So it's up to you to decide whether you want to watch it or indeed whether I put you on the October shows when we get there. Well, that's what I was kind of trying to get at. I was like, right. Yeah, I got, oh, got no. you. Uh, uh, <laughs> you, you got, flattery will get you nowhere, my friend. Ah, so remember that as well. <laughs> you have a very nice voice. How does that work? Keep, keep going. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this might get uh, NC-17 here in a minute. No, but... Uh, no, I, I I don't care about uh, Warrior, even when he came back in WWF uh, in '96. Yes, that was pretty lackluster. You know, he kind of showed that he was not fitting in with the times. I don't think he necessarily fits in with WCW. WCW seems more more reality based in terms of characters and whatnot. And obviously, Ultimate Warrior is a character, so it kind of sticks out a bit in the world of uh, World Championship Wrestling. So this is, a, I would say, a debut that I have uh, very little interest in, the One Warrior Nation. I mean, right now my, my head has about three question marks on top of it. I have no idea what that could uh, lead up to. So, no, I, I thought, uh, you know, Warrior coming in WCW, to me, is not a positive of anything. So I, I don't really care about it. They, or probably he, have been probably... The reason his delay has been held off, or his um, his reintroduction has been delayed for so long, is because everybody was there trying to fit the letters NWO together in whatever way they could, with the word warrior in there somewhere, and they came up with one warrior nation. <laughs> that took them three months. Billy, this is all going to end in tears, isn't it? Uh, yes, it's going to end in tears. It's going to end with me in tears as well, because I'm going to have to sit through and watch this match. <laughs> More than likely. Um, I, they've come up with the smart idea of uh, the One Warrior Nation, which is uh, NWO spelled backwards. So, yeah, that's that's really smart of them to do that. Uh, the re-debut of the Warrior. I'm just, I, I'm just not feeling it, and I don't... I don't know why WCW feel that they need to have the Ultimate Warrior at this time. I'm sure Hollywood wants his win back from WrestleMania 6, but is that the only reason he's here? I, I just don't know, and my mind boggles. Warrior's got to be getting a pretty penny for this one, hasn't he, surely? I mean, if the end game is for him to lay down for Hogan, which I'm imagining is going to happen, then with the egos of those two, he ain't going to be doing this for, for buttons, surely. <laughs> uh, I'm sure Warrior is going to feel very happy with the seven-figure sum for that he's going to be receiving for putting over Hulk Hogan. It's just, do we all have to endure it and watch it play out? I just, I, I WCW seems to be going backwards. It seems to be such an a, a interesting company to watch this time last year, and with what's going on now, it just seems less and less interesting. Bonus points to you, Billy, for actually doing a warrior and calling him Hoke Hogan there, by the way. Uh. <laughs> so you clearly have been listening carefully to try to understand what the hell he's 
banging on about. I've got a few quotes here. Hulk, you lay shredded beneath layers of deceit and infamy. Revolution is not based on belligerent idiocy. It is based on magnificence and not malfeasance. That's the sort of thing I would write in the seventh paragraph of a general studies exam when I've got about five minutes left before the time limit and I need to get the, need to get to the conclusion quickly. I mean, come on. I mean, talk about you know <laughs> gibberish masquerading as intelligence. And he got to do that for 20 minutes on the 17th and another 10 on the 24th. The man is just a clear law unto himself. The only good thing I will say about his reintroduction, I will give Hulk a little bit of credit here. Okay, his lip-quivering acting was atrocious. He wouldn't even get away with that on Blunder in Paradise or whatever it's called. But his one half-decent line to try to make the warrior look like a threat in 98, I thought you were dead. I'm going to give him credit for that. Otherwise, all of this absolutely stunk. I don't need the warrior leading his own one warrior nation. I'm not on board with his revolution. I don't like him hanging out in the rafters because, gee, that's original. I think it's ludicrous that, as you say, Bob, WCW try to make try to make their programming a bit more reality-based, and now every single week he's disappearing in a cloud of smoke. And on the 31st of August, the 31st of August, him disappearing in a cloud of smoke even managed to incapacitate some of the NWO. I mean, I know the likes of Norton and Vincent are useless, but even I have a bit of a hard time buying that one. I'm sure he's got something stupid up his sleeve for the full brawl match, which I would not be entirely shocked if he ends up winning. I know it's for a title shot of Halloween Havoc, but they can get around that some other way. It's just a, a disaster. It was three months in the Fed two years ago before he eventually flaked out and got all pissy about contracts and having to do house shows and what have you. So much so that the WWF didn't even lie about the reasons for his departure. They shoot mentioned them on air. Does Bischoff know what he's getting himself in for bringing in this this guy? I really don't think he does. Will Warrior still be here in three months' time? I doubt it. It wouldn't be surprised if next month plans have changed and he's thrown another fit and he's gone by early September. It would not shock me. Hogan v. Warrior without Pat Patterson's guidance is going to be a shit show. A horror show, if you will. So if they do put it on at Halloween Havoc, as the owl <laughs> coos in the background for us there, quite fittingly, it will all make a whole lot of sense, but I do not want to see it. And there we are moving from something quite ridiculous, which is clearly not grounded in reality, to something which they're trying to make us believe is very real indeed. You got a lot of young talent here in WCW, and all you do is hold us down for people that you pay a lot of money to and that you have way up here. Well, I don't care, Bischoff, anymore. I don't care about these people. I don't care about nothing anymore, Eric. You have driven me to that. Eric Bischoff, this has nothing to do with you people. This is personal between me and you, Eric. I come to work with my heart and all you do is step on it and I'm tired of it you hold me down you've held me down and from now on in Eric see I don't know what it is I don't know if it's something personal you got against me whatever it is Eric I don't know I mean what is it about me that you have against me that you keep me from stepping up the ladder in this profession 
What is it about me? I mean, you got me tied down, Eric, in my contract, and I could give. I'm telling you this right now, okay? And I'm saying this for any other guy that wants to come out here and speak his mind that's being held down. If you got the, you know what, come out here and say it like I am. Eric Bischoff, I'm telling you this face to face, boy, because I can't you get your attention. Other way, not face to face, let me say, on national TV, in front of all these people, I'm coming out. And the only reason I haven't come out any sooner is for two reasons. Chavo Jr., I love you, man. You're my blood, and I'll never let that go. You're one of the reasons I haven't said anything about what I'm doing tonight. And the other reason is because I have two kids and a wife that I have to support. Well, you know what? If losing my dignity means having to put up with WCW, NWO red, black or white, whatever the hell it is, I don't care. So Eric Bischoff, I'm telling you this right now. I want out of my contract, no matter what it takes, who I gotta speak to, or what it is, okay? And here, let me save you some time, Eric Bischoff. I'm throwing coffee on myself. As far as I'm concerned, Eric Bischoff, you can take this job and shove it up your you-know-what. On-screen shoot promo by Eddie Guerrero, of all people, Billy, had him come to the ring bringing a carry bag and coffee, which was actually just cold water, and he proceeded to shoot on Eric Bischoff, clearly addressing him as the owner of the company behind the scenes, talking about not getting a push, bringing up his family in clearly not a working manner, and then, I should fill in the gaps here, throwing coffee on himself, which I really had to dig deep here. The crowd did not react at all. <laughs> Imagine if they did this in Sturgis. <laughs> the, the crowd not reacting at all to this, because they didn't know. And what it was is apparently backstage a couple of weeks or months ago, Eddie actually did go to Bischoff, not happy with his position on the card. And Bischoff got very, very angry and actually threw coffee at him. So that's what that was about. But that was completely lost on the audience. And it was completely lost on me as somebody who reads the sheets every single week. I had to dig deep. Billy, this was far too inside for TV. Far too inside. Um, you know, people at home, let's say a good percentage, are not, quote-unquote, <laughs> smart marks. <laughs> they are just regular people that tune in to watch wrestling each and every week and just to escape realism of life, let's say. How are they going to get any of this uh, insider lingo that Eddie was dropping all over the place? Uh, and like you said, Roy, you had to really search to be able to find the information about. Watch to get live. I had no idea what he was talking about. Oh, you know what I'm. You know what I'm saying, Eric. I'm throwing coffee on myself. What? Yeah. <laughs> it's just like okay. Um, all right, Eddie. You're obviously upset, and you're shooting on your bus. But in the long run, how is this going to draw any money whatsoever? Is this leading to an Eddie Guerrero, Eric Bischoff match? I highly doubt it. Good Lord, no. (laughs) (laughs) I I certainly hope not. So why have they put this on TV? Unless they just, and I don't really want to say this, they're running out of ideas what to fill the three hours of Nitro with. 
On the volume one of this show, which I'm sure everybody will have heard by now, I talk a lot about the shoot-tastic nature of a lot of WWF programming these days. You could argue that it was WCW who really started that off two and a half years ago with Pillman going off script and attacking Bobby Heenan and threatening to say the seven words you can't say on television. And then, of course, the whole I respect you Booker Man stuff. So they really did get there first. But that doesn't mean they need to go there again. Bob, if it ends up confusing people who know the score with pro wrestling, then you really are behind the eight ball right from the off. Uh, yeah, I would have to say so. Uh, I mean, I was, I mean, I was even confused by it. Really, I don't know the reasoning of why they would want to do this anyway. Because no disrespect to Eddie Guerrero, but on television, he's just a cruiserweight wrestler. So you have this guy coming out there cutting this promo about his spot and you know take the job and shove it up your you know what because we can't swear on WCW television. I don't even really, <laughs> like, you know if that's really a swear word to be honest with you. But he actually bad. said he actually said in that promo he actually said you know what four times. Right. So even then he was still being careful that his boss was really watching. Carry yeah, on. Bob. So so he does care about his job. So the uh, yeah so like the notion there of hey you know. I can just, you know, screw this job. I'm going to leave. I feel like a cruiserweight wrestler, pretty replaceable. You know, if I'm Eric Bischoff, I'd be like, who the hell is Eddie Guerrero? Now, if this was a guy like Sting coming out here, which, you know, this is kind of an angle they did about two years ago anyway, but, or like Lex Luger or anybody of, you know, substance in terms of uh, drawing ability, then yeah, then you're going to have something you care about. But this seemed like a failed attempt to create a spark for a wrestler and uh you know i mean i just kind of rolled my eyes at it because um you know it's not like he's a major player outside of the cruiserweight division at this point compared to where he was even a year ago if he did this a year ago when he was the u.s champion or whatever then i could probably buy into it but you know wrestling silver king on thunder uh you're probably not <laughs> going to be a big loss to the company uh but you saw that match didn't you billy Unfortunately, I did, yes. <laughs> our, our resident Thunder Watcher, everybody. Listen, if you want to push Eddie Guerrero, just push him as what he is, which is a fantastic wrestler. He was our wrestler of the year last year, and quite rightly so. He won with ease, and so he should have done. If you're moving him out of the Charbo feud, which now looks like it's completely done and dusted, then just have him get over by winning matches. And if this is building to some slow, long burn, long term, long term face turn, then just turn him face. Uh, he's got over as a bad guy by being such a great one, but much like I feel the rock is happening to him on the WWF. He's been such a fantastic heel that now the fans want to get behind him. It almost feels like a reward. So turning Eddie Guerrero face, I have zero problem with that at all, but don't do it like this. We already know that Eric Bischoff, the character is a slime ball. If you are playing off on, on, for those who really are in the know, that Bischoff is not a good boss and he holds down people who you think deserve to be high on the card, then I think that's only going to turn smarter fans off the product. They know who Eric Bischoff really is. And if they are told things that really happen backstage, that Bischoff basically said Eddie to shut up and know his place and threw coffee at him, that does not paint him or the company he runs in a positive light at all. And they, by being really smart and inside and nudge, nudge, wink, wink, they are shooting themselves in the foot 
in a, in a month where it must be said they've been doing that so many times, I doubt they've got any toes left. They'll be up to about their shins right now. And God knows where they're going to try and point the gun next. But even so, just everybody knows. I, I talked about this at length in Volume 1. We know what we're watching. We don't need to be told about it. Just come up with compelling storylines. We know their storylines because that's why we're watching. I don't really care what Eddie Guerrero said backstage to Eric Bischoff. I'm not bothered about what his response was. If it, Okay, I really want it to be, yes, you're a great wrestler. We're going to push you. If that didn't happen, don't play it out again on television. And it's just getting way too meta now where you're having Eddie refusing to fight back to stick it to Eric on the 31st August edition of Nitro. No, it just suggests that he doesn't care about his job. Right? We all know he's getting well paid for this. And it's going to make me start resenting Eddie Guerrero, the person, when that is the last thing I want to do, because I'm a huge fan of Eddie Guerrero, the wrestler. So yes, as I'm saying a lot these months, stop trying to be so clever. Just prevent, just, just, <laughs> just prevent from presenting good television. the 24th and we're in the United Centre. Bischoff tells us that he and his pen are the reason that Vader and Johnny B. Bad were run out of WCW. <laughs> God man, is that all you got? Hogan is here to beat somebody up today, complete with name check for the ultimate warrior. Bischoff sure gets in his ear quickly on that one. He settles on Goldberg in the end, so let's see what happens there. Where else is there to go after this but Roth versus Mike Enos? Pump handle into a power slam gets it done for the three mile island survivor. Malenko versus Kaz Hayashi. Kaz gets some good shine and could well be one to watch, but the Cloverleaf is enough for the win. The Red and Black are with us. Sting isn't though, but does that really matter these days? Nash. Hogan, you want a war? Brother, you got a war. If he has to eliminate both Hollywood and Bischoff, then so be it, because he wants to run this company. Wants to? He then turns to Goldberg. After the first beer, we had a beer. After the second though, it became plain and simple. Well, that doesn't rhyme. The only way to make things right is for them to team up against Hogan and Giant tonight. Bill does his full intro just to say, if you want it, you got it. The anvil goes down to the Tequila Sunrise. Tony is back on interview duty today and he brings out Stevie Ray. A pursuited Booker T quickly interrupts. He can't even leave the house these days without being asked about Stevie Ray and now he wants to find out. Stevie says that he did indeed take the TV title because it was driving a wedge between them. Tony then stirs the pot by saying Booker will challenge Brett for the US title tonight. The two brothers draw their way to the back. And now Paige is out to not talk to Gene. Well, Liver has earned that rest, I think. Bischoff is the man with the pen, but DDP wants to stick it right in his... right ear. The bagpipes strike up and here comes Piper. He is the only guy that Bischoff cannot fire. So, the Eddie Munster lookalike will have to deal with this. The rowdy one will be on Paige's team. And before the night is over, he will use his power to start the revolution. Mongo gets the win with a spike on Riggs, but the flock see to things afterwards, including a vile stop sign to the head by Horace. Dean Malenko comes down to help and is able to do so. Saturn gets in a terse exchange before diving onto Horace. Then Dean and Mongo exchange a handshake, but not the horseman signal. Another squash victory for Scott Norton. Rick Fuller counts for lights today. Scott is out and today he is going to go against Doctor's orders. He wants to face Rick tonight. He brings him out but it's buffed and up in a dog collar again. After barking for a bit, Steiner gives him a doggy treat 
and gets him to roll over and play dead. He pins him for a three, and that really felt rather dirty. Luca vs Adams is here now. Did I detect a Nitro Sucks chant during this one? I think I did. We get a bit of back and forth until Lex gets the Duke via the rack. And now it's time to join the revolution. Yep, Warrior is here again. Hogan was the master of everything Warrior wanted to emulate, but nowadays he sees none of those virtues. He lay shredded beneath layers of deceit and infamy. Hogan, you traded being one in a million for being one of the millions. Okay, I like that one. Everything that he reveres is finally being threatened, as tonight we launch the OWN, the One Warrior Nation. Get it? Jericho vs Hennig is an interesting one. The action is really quite nifty indeed until the bell rings for the 10 minute time limit, which was a good 3 minutes early. The giant lumbers out to then shove down. Hennig. Brett is here and it's all no heroes anymore all over again. That is aside from Hollywood Hogan, the greatest wrestler of all time. You didn't read the fine print last year, did you, Brett? As for his good buddies thing, we think alike, act alike, almost look alike, but he too has been corrupted by the American wrestling fans. He then calls Booker out for an ass-kicking, but he doesn't show up. We cut to the back to see him beaten up and favouring his knee. Stevie appears in his place to draw with the hitman, but it leads to Brett, the head recruiter for the NWO, offering him a place, and with most of the black and white now in the ring, he does. We finish up with Hogan Giant versus Nash Goldberg. Name power is all this one has going for it until Disciple and Hennig just come in with no DQ. The red and black then even things up and we are left with Goldberg and Hennig in the ring. So Bill spears him, jackhammers him, and pins him for a three. What? Hogan is then in and now it is Goldberg's turn to receive an errant shot from Nash. It all breaks down until Team WCW that is Page, Piper and Warrior, get involved and clean house. Bishop and his trusty pen are here on the 31st for the final Nitro of the month in Miami, Florida. He has the power, so Eddie Guerrero will wrestle tonight, but Warrior will not. Hogan confirms that his War Games team is him, Stevie Ray and Brett. He drops Ultimate Warrior again when he tells him he will soon put him to rest and calls him to the ring right now. He obliges, and very quickly too. But all we get is a speak to me warriors, no I'm not doing the voice, before the smoke appears, and he disappears. Roth most through Jim Powers, with the move now known as the Meltdown. Scott Norton makes very easy work of Norman Smiley, as Warrior looks on from the rafters. Catching up with old friends perhaps. The Wolf back off the hookup, <laughs> whatever that means. And Kev has our team used for war games. Sting, Luger, and some cat they call Big Sexy. As for the events of last week, DDP has a week to make up his mind. Yes, because it's been at least two months since the last DDP cliffhanger. Piper needs to watch his step as he and Nash have had battles in the ring and in the back before. And Warrior, if you don't run with the pack, you're hunted by it. JJ Dillon invites Arn Anderson for an off-the-record discussion on live television in the ring. Despite having to be impartial these days, JJ regularly found himself going through tapes of the Horseman and then being the best days of his life. We then get to see one of those tapes of Arn on a beach from well over 15 years ago, cutting a typically fantastic promo on the likes of Ricky Steamboat and Magnum TA. JJ now fears that the horseman will never ride again, because Arn doesn't get it. Benoit and Mongo are now here to plead their case too, off mic, but Arn merely tries to leave. JJ accuses him of being afraid of all of this, as the segment is done. 
Eddie is now scheduled to face Brian Adams. I'm beginning to see his point. Guerrero lays down in the middle of the ring and tells Adam to pin him. He eventually does so with one foot on the chest after Eddie allows free punches and throws. Guerrero then makes threats to Eric, but his mic gets cut. The cat wipes out Riggs in a match which gives us a back leg round kick call. Eric really does hold the pin. Conan vs Ginetti is up now. Too long for what it needs to be, which is another submission win for the K-Dog. Saturn and Lodi team up versus High Voltage. Saturn has to be Lodi's public servant after their match on Thunder last week. Perry carries the whole match and hits the DVD, but Lodi demands the tag-in for the winning pin. Tony talks to DDP. Oh god, that's the new drinking game, isn't it? Hogan's mind is all stirred up, and he brings out the man who did it. Commissioner Piper. Roddy calls Bret Hart to that Marilyn Manson of wrestling. Nope, me neither. After a pointless preparation H joke, he says Hart is now the world chump, and that Hogan is conning him. Giant jogs in and beats down on the faces, and they get handcuffed extremely easily. Steiner and Docker here once more. Does the word quack mean anything to you? Asks Heenan. A second opinion is here in the form of Jamaican doctor Juju Ubangi, who is of course Bagwell. He heals Scott with some magic dust. Pause for effect there. Rick makes another late appearance to chase them all out. I'm watching you, boy, and on the 13th I will kick your ass. Hooventoot defends the cruiserweight belt versus Evan Courageous. Crowd don't pay much attention to it, which is a pity. A rare 1-2-3 with the Hoovy driver ends this fine match. Our role model Jericho is up against Disco. CJ gets his foot on the ropes after a chart buster, which leads to a lion tamer and a victory. Nash joins us on commentary on Goldberg's epic world-changing title defence against Al Green. Kev reminds us that he and Green teamed up in this very company nine years ago. That's all there is to say about this until the usual. The latest buffer cock-up. A tag team that is a real tag team match. It's actually Hogan and Brett versus Luger and Sting. The exchanges here are fairly weak all round until Hulk whips Sting with his belt, which Brett actually stops. He accuses Hogan of breaking his word, and as they argue in the aisle way, they get counted out. Hollywood tells Brett he needs to play by NWO rules, and somehow everybody in the NWO ends up being laid out by Warriors smoke. The Warriors can smell his fear. To take it home for the month on our third volume, we had some... Billy, we were talking about this one off air a couple of weeks ago, just some of the most senseless booking I think I've ever seen. There was a tag match between... Kevin Nash and Bill Goldberg and Hulk Hogan and the Giants. And there's been a bit of needle, a bit of, bit of tension between Nash and Bischoff. Uh, Nash and Bischoff and Bischoff on the brain. Nash and Goldberg. Now, Goldberg accidentally spearing Nash twice. You know, Nash was cool the first time, but the second it was, okay, let's see what you're about. Let's team together and let's find out the hard way. Some nice storytelling there, which I appreciate. And we get the match and it's bog-standard sub two star nitro tag main event fair as it was always going to be but it all breaks down into what i expect was going to be the usual nitro finish with the goons running in for the dq and the bell doesn't ring and the black and white beat down the baby faces for a little bit and then the black and white get involved and the ring gets cleared and it's left with bill goldberg and kurt hennig and again the bell hasn't rung so he gets up Hennig for the jackhammer, which is already taken 10 million times in the last two months. Okay. And he hits the jackhammer. And he covers him for a pinfall, 
<laughs> and the ref counts a three, and then the bell rings for the end of the match. But Billy Kurt Hennig wasn't in this match. Well, what was going on? <laughs> so, indeed, my question here, what is going on? Why is Kurt Hennig losing a match when Hulk Hogan and the Giants are the opponents. I expect you to give me an... I, I want 10,000 words on this one. <laughs> on my desk by tomorrow morning. <laughs> uh, well, okay. Where, where do you begin with this one? What... In whose... Okay. Uh, who thought that this was a good idea? And why <laughs> is Kurt Henning taking the pinfall? Goldberg, in a match that he's not involved in. I don't know why WCW thought this was a good idea. But they obviously wanted to keep maybe the Giant and Hulk Hogan from, obviously, those two guys are not going to take the pinfall. So you got to sort of keep them to look, make them look strong with the programs that are going on at the moment. But still, I don't understand why they did this. I just, I just don't get it. It made no sense. Okay, the crowd really didn't care at that point because they'd sat through so much nonsense on Nitro anyway. It's just I hope this doesn't become a regular fixture of WCW programming going forward where they have these nonsensical finishes that make absolutely no sense with other wrestlers running in and getting pinned by other wrestlers for no apparent reason. See, the thing is, we have the Nitro finish, as I called it, every week now. I don't think anybody was expecting a pinfall with these four guys. It was going to be six or seven minutes DQ. We, we, everybody watching knew that was coming. Yet, for some reason, the one time we don't have a DQ finish, it's not because one of the guys in the match takes an important pinfall. It's because Bob... Kurt Hennig does, because he's not in the match. So, of course, he does. Well, yeah, he's obviously a bigger challenge to Goldberg than Giant and Hogan would ever be. Oh, easily. He's only pinned it twice anyway. Well, yeah. So, the only thing I can think of is that the bookers are probably in a room, and they're thinking, hey, guys, Henning's only lost to Goldberg 35 times. So the fans aren't going to think he'll lose a 36th time, especially <laughs> in the match. So how about we send him out there, and then we'll surprise the fans and be like, wow, he lost a 36th time. So what's going to happen now is that next week, Goldberg will have another match against, you know, whoever, and then Henning will come out, and the announcers will be like, he can't lose a 37th match in a row, and he's not even in this one. And then he'll pin him again. So every match now, moving forward, Goldberg will just pin Kurt Henning, and uh, Kurt Henning's career will be defined by being the guy that got pinned by Goldberg in every single match when he wasn't even technically in it. <laughs> Sounds like a genius idea. It now, this is, it's just, I hate these kind of finishes. Uh, you know, Henning, when he was told this, was probably like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, what am <laughs> I, how, why am I going to get pinned? Like, I don't, like, no one's going to help me out in the, <laughs> cause the, I mean, I'm going to the cause of disqualification. How was the referee not fired? What, right? what, the the, what is the referee yeah. thinking? Like, oh, hey, this is normal. So should um, should Glacier come running down, super kick Goldberg and pin him? And, and like, is he the champion now? Is that what we're doing? Because that would be phenomenal. <laughs> that would be great. I know, I, know somebody on our, I know somebody on our staff who we haven't heard from for a few months. He would be very pleased with that. <laughs> yeah. And it wouldn't even be blood runs cold anymore. It would be blood runs gold. 
Word. Oh. You see what I'm doing there? I'm here with the jokes, folks. I'm here with the jokes. Hey, this is just, it's stupid. I don't know. Just give me a DQ finish and have Hanning get fucking pinned. Or have, like, why not just pin Giant again? I don't know. Who cares? Nobody cares anymore. <laughs> Nobody cares anymore. What a great way to finish. But yeah, it's true because this is the thing that people talk about. They're not going to talk about the storyline advancement, which with Nash and Goldberg was at least vaguely interesting at this point. People are going to kind of going to come away from this and say oh they did a finish on Nitro where they pinned a guy who wasn't even in the match oh yeah well that's stupid what, what happened on Raw you see what I mean this is the thing people are going to remember and it is not a good thing to be remembered by huh? it's, it's, it's insulting your audience you know, um, how is it remotely realistic as you say if anybody can get involved and just pin anybody and win any, any title it just makes the matches themselves meaningless I mean, Nitro main events are all about star power and what happens in them is kind of irrelevant leading up until the two or three minutes before the show goes off the air where we get the storyline advancement. But here we didn't even get that. As if they think, oh, we don't have enough pinfall finishes in our main events. Okay, but don't do it with somebody. Oh, I, I, I don't even want to repeat the phrase pinning somebody who's not even in the, in the match anymore. It was absolutely really stupid. And it was I felt it was something we had to talk about here. Because it was a good capital. It's been, I think, a terrible month of WCW booking-wise. And I repeat, is this self-sabotage? They're making so many stupid decisions that your local local booker for the indie shows you see written up on lampposts outside your door when they have the word wrestling and they have four people in masks that try to look as menacing as they can. <laughs> and it's taking place at your local gym and it's £2 entry. And the booker is probably, you know, your history teacher or something. Even he wouldn't come up with ideas as stupid as this. And yes, WCW have won in the ratings for the last three weeks. We don't have their score for the 31st of August Nitro, which was unopposed anyway, I hasten to add. But boys, you are not presenting the best programming now anyway. So not even working out how pinfalls are supposed to work week after week is not going to do you well in the long run. Heed my words. And that is where we wrap things up for our... That is where we wrap things up. See, it even make me lose the power of speech for volume three of our August 1998 shows. Really, thank you and indeed apologies for being on this show with us this month. <laughs> Everything that could go wrong went wrong for me today and I do apologise for um, everything going wrong. Billy, it's not the fault of the talent; it's the fault of the booking. Oh dear! Oh, this this was just not. It was not the right day to do podcasting, obviously. Billy, if you can, if you can though, and this is a great day to do it, as we've reached our fifth anniversary, we I'll talk about this at length on Volume One. But just say a few words about this podcast and your thoughts on it going forward, and what you think we've been doing for the last five years. Oh, why? Well, okay. Uh, well, I, I first discovered the podcast. Uh, I was quite intrigued with the idea of uh, the whole you're not you're sort of set in the setting of 1998 and you don't know what's going on so you're always sort of in the past I, I like that idea I thought that was uh, sort of fresh and innovative and different to what everyone else was sort of doing at the time with the other old school wrestling podcasts um, I hope that this podcast will be around for many young many years to come because it's given me plenty of entertainment and I'm really looking forward to the TNA years because 
some people are going to really suffer for it. <laughs> the stuff that they did in 2002 and later on in 2009. Um, if it even goes that long, it's just that it's a tremendous podcast and uh, I hope it lives on uh, for many, many eons. When we get to the fish market store match in 2009, oh, yes. we, we will be looking back on main events like this one at World Wild 98 and thinking, yeah, maybe it wasn't so bad then after all. <laughs> Anything in TNA. Or if anyone's doing CZW, best of luck to them on that one. As well. I'm going to have to give somebody CZW. Bob, again, huge thanks and huge apologies for being on the show this month. No, it's, it's all in good fun, Rory. At least you brought the jokes. Yeah, I guess. I mean, if it sounds like I'm near depression, I mean, yeah, I am. But I'll let it slide this time. I wouldn't blame you at all. Just a few words about this podcast and what we do on here, Bob. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm kind of offended by Billy there. Uh, I mean, the masturbating midget in a trash can that TNA did was by far the best thing ever in professional (laughs) wrestling. So you got to give him credit somewhere. No? Okay, great. Well, I... um, (laughs) At least we've only got that's only we've only got four years to wait until that one as well. Yeah, I might be dead. So you know, (laughs) it's been a uh, it's been an interesting time with the podcast here. I uh, I believe I stumbled upon it late late 2017 or so, and I've always been a fan of old school professional wrestling. I don't find myself enjoying the modern day stuff uh, pretty much at all. So then again, I don't know why I watched Road Wild 98, but I did. But, you know, it was, um, you know, just the whole idea of, um, you know, going back and keeping your mind in a certain month of year. So, you know, you're strictly just thinking August 98 and you're not really paying attention to anything that's going in the future. I like that idea of it. Um, I think as a listener, it's even a better way of listening to it. Because, you know, you're not going to be really spoiling anything. I'm like, on my personal podcast, like, we obviously do that because we're idiots and we don't pay attention to what the hell we're fucking talking about. So, you know, we'll, we'll talk about WWF 93 and then somehow we'll talk about, you know, XPW in 2002. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> but, no, I, I mean, I, uh, I, mean, I took a shot and uh, messaging Bob, uh, I believe it was on Twitter, and saying, hey, man, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll appear on it. Not anticipating any kind of reaction. And about, I don't know, 12 minutes later, he's like, cool, you're on January. And I was like, oh, okay. So uh, needless to say, I was um, you know pretty surprised. But you know, I, I've had a lot of fun doing this. And as Billy mentioned, you know, I look forward to um, you know, 2002 for sure. So like TNA, obviously that creation there, Ring of Honor. Uh, you know, and I've mentioned it to, uh, I believe it was Chris. You know, I mean, if there's like CZW, I mean, good Lord, I don't know what the hell I would do with that. <laughs> But like the independent stuff, like I, I wouldn't mind being the independent guy because, you know, there's some underrated stuff there that doesn't really get talked about, you know, in various gyms with like 300 people in it. But, um, yeah, no, I, I look forward to continuing on with you guys as long as you guys will have me. And uh, yeah, it's just been a lot of fun. I'm, I'm grateful that this is this was my my first podcast that I ever was a part of. So it's, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, Bob, you have your own projects too, so tell the listeners where they can find you, what else you do. Yeah, well, the the podcast is Icopod, which you can find at icopod.podbean.com. Of course, it's on iTunes and all that other good stuff. And we, uh, 
you know, we just we started with the first Raw in '93. We've made it up to SummerSlam '93. One of my my co-hosts, Austin Skinner, somehow loves the Lex Express, and I let him know how much of an idiot he is on the <laughs> podcast each week that it uh, applies. So if you want to send any hate mail to him, you can you know go ahead and do that. Uh, I also got WrestlingRecaps.com where I do a whole bunch of uh, articles, columns, reviews, stuff of that nature. I've been focusing a lot on Memphis in the late '80s currently. So, uh, you know, I keep myself pretty busy with those projects along with wrestling 20 years ago. So thank you very much. Thank, you. thank you for the kind words, gents. Yes, you can indeed stay. And I will try to get you on some better shows in the future if I can. <laughs> we will see what the calendar, what the calendar has in mind. Cause Hey, I just picked these names at random. It's not as if I put people on bad shows for any real reason. Well, okay. Maybe it is a bit. <laughs> Thank you for sitting through this one. With and thank you, dear listener, for the two hours you spent with us on Road World 98 and all other baffling WCW decisions. I will keep this outro fairly brief as I talk about it a lot on Volume 1, but uh, thank you for sticking with us for the five years. And we aim to be doing this for as long as we possibly can, so please stay with us. Drop us a review on Apple Music, iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, all the usual places. Five stars, if you please, and by all means, drop us a comment too. Uh, things you like about this show, things you might want to see us look at in the future. Find us on Patreon and drop us $5 there, patreon.com forward slash wrestling20yrs. We will also get exclusive access to all shows when they are edited straight off the bat and at least one special show every month. So I'm actually taking a brief break from main proceedings in September. I've been on all three shows and all three specials this month. There's only so much retro wrestling somebody can take. <laughs> <laughs> yes, even, even I've hit my limit. Although I will be on the special show this month, so if you're on Patreon, watch out for that. But Chris and Chris will take you through all three organizations in their own high-quality style. But I have been Rory McNamara. This has been the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast, Volume 3. Just to recap, Volume 1, WWF SummerSlam, Volume 2, ECW heatwave and as the man who made all this possible would say until next time goodbye